Hey everyone, thanks for being here. Episode three of Here For Now. I'm Nate Duro, and I'm super, super excited to share with you today an interview I did with two of the finest human beings that I've ever been uh, able to meet, Nicholas Pydek and John Moore. They're the two uh, co-founders, co-creators of Foster Coffee Company, which started in Owasso, Michigan, and has since spread to Flint and East Lansing. They also performed in a band called So Save Me for years. Um, I'm a concert promoter. It's what I do for a living, and uh, I booked their band a bajillion times, and they were always a blast. They're just like these really great community organizer types, but like super empathetic to kind of everything. And you guys will see, this is a long podcast. This one is, is, it's worth the listen, but definitely like take the time. It's the free bird of podcast. It is the free bird of podcasts. Uh, Tyler on the other side of the glass here gave it lit right up when I said it was a long podcast because <laughs> we sat in uh, Nick's living room and uh, we just vibed and the whole purpose of this podcast is to be what I thought was going to be these one-on-one conversations um, things that happen at shows and in the green room and backstage where we have these really deep like when we're on our game the band's about to go on stage I'm in my element doing what I do and we get these like kind of elevated conversations where the neurons are firing you know and this one was with three people <laughs> and it just physically took longer to get through all of that stuff. So it's a super cool conversation um, with two people that I think very highly of. Right now we're here in the Eureka Records studio in Wyandotte. Tyler Floyd is the producer and man, what a year. 2019 is almost over and I wrote a little blog on my website, audiotreepresents.com where I reviewed the year in Michigan music and just kind of like little one-liners like Greed Death put out a new record and got signed to Death Wish and now they're touring with Deaf Heaven and Green Sky Bluegrass is one of the biggest bands and, and uh, the Wolfpack sold out Madison Square Garden and Flint Eastwood changed to Jax Anderson and you know all it's it's incredible it's incredible how much music came out this year it feels like it's never been this good What was your favorite release of 2019 here in the state of Michigan? Ooh, um, probably Greed Death's new record. Dude. It's just, it's great. New Hell. uh, So Dixieland was a record they put out, what, two or three years ago, and it was fantastic, and it got some love, it got some press, like people were behind it. Um. This was a whole nother planet from that record. New Hell is so, so good. It's so giant sounding and you know this i mean you're 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 operating a studio here where your goal is to take local talent and and regional talent and and make them sound just like what's on the radio or what's you know what your favorite records are and things like that and like to see greet greet death kind of level up has been really cool but it's just been this incredible year from mover shaker putting out their super fun incredible new record sounds so good um Dogleg signing to Triple Crown and putting out a new single, which rips and all the stuff Shortly's doing. But then you flip to like, like I said, like Green Sky Bluegrass and Joe Hurtler and Mark Lavengood and, you know, Wilson's 10-year career coming to an end. Like all the genres, 
Quinn 92 is like one of the biggest, like, you know, hip hop names right now. And there are all these Michigan acts that are just kicking ass at the same time. And it's so freaking cool. It just, I don't know. It feels good. So go to audio tree presents, click the blog, find the year in review. I'd love to hear what you think. And speaking of hearing what you think, you can email us anytime here for now, pod at gmail.com. Uh, our website is here for now podcast. Dot com, And uh, from there, you can subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts, to this podcast. There's seven of them coming. This is number three. Uh, or you can follow us on social media at Here For Now Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Send us what you want. Send us what you think. Uh, give us ideas. And if you want to connect with any of these people, whether you're like a cough what what's a co- coffee nista? No, I don't know. Coffee nista, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I made that up. Um, if you're a coffee person, you're gonna love this episode. If you're an alternative rock person that likes bands like Thrice and Circus Survive, you're gonna love this episode. Um, but it'd be really cool for for this podcast to be a vehicle by which like more creative people got together and did stuff because that's kind of the whole point, you know. I, I I talk a ton in this podcast about like taking our view of what who someone is by by looking at what they do and i want to boil it down to now how we know uh who they are here's my interview with nicholas pydek and john moore from foster coffee company i thought about like when i started the idea of doing a podcast and you're recording now, right? So we can just kick into it whenever. Um, I started thinking about like, I'll just do it myself, you know, like it can't be that hard to like plug in a couple microphones and do it from my laptop or whatever. And then I started reading up on it. I was like, no. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of just did that thing where I floated out on the internet. Like, Hey, anybody want to do a podcast? And Tyler's like, dude, me. And I was like, yeah. Because everything this dude's been putting out, like out of his studio and everything, has just been so like clean and efficient, and and not like he just gets it. And he's also been playing shows for me since he started playing shows. So if anybody understands what the heck I'm about, it's this dude. Um, thanks for being here, you guys. I'm super stoked for this. I've got Nicholas Pydek and John Moore. They are the co-owners of Foster Coffee Company. Uh, they have three locations open now, one in Owasso, Michigan, which is the headquarters and where it all started. What, what year was that? 2015. Mm-hmm. And then they expanded to Flint. They're in downtown Flint in a cool little, like, is it like a co-working space that you guys are, are yeah. set up in? Yeah. And then now you have the, uh, ultimate location, right across the street from Michigan State's campus in downtown East Lansing, which I stopped by the other day, and that place was slamming. It's like I had to sit on the couch, like, real <laughs> close to somebody just to have somewhere to sit, which was dope. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys for being here. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Nate. Yeah, thank you. Speaking of here, I always like to uh, start off uh, with a little bit of an icebreaker. I just want both of you guys to tell me where you are right now. Just literally answer that question. Like physically or emotionally or psychologically? Or- You're the first person to ask for clarification. But uh, I want you to, I just want you to answer it however you feel is the best answer to the question. Where Where are you right now? Uh, well, I'm in my home 
which is feels comfortable. It's good. Um, we're in my dining room that my wife helped put together and cleaned up like less than 24 hours. This was full of like blueprints and <laughs> um, like you can see cabinet samples and tile samples. She's a interior decorator and designer. So which you can tell this is a beautiful place. It's a, it's, it's a beautiful old home in downtown Owasso and it's just really smartly. It's just nice. It just feels good. Thanks Nate. It's yeah. Really, it feels like home. John, where are you right now? Next dining room table. Yeah. Owasso. Yeah. I think, I, I think this question, like, it's funny. You're the first person to actually like ask a question to clarify it. Cause that's the whole point of the question is like, you could describe, where you are physically, where you are geographically. We're in Owasso on this street. And, you know, when I want to put your address out on the internet, we could do that. But, <laughs> um, uh, you could talk about where you are emotionally. You can talk about where you are on a Tuesday afternoon, uh, where you are career-wise, because this is kind of what I'm doing with this podcast, is talking to creative people about what they're doing with their lives and things like that. So um, I just think it's a really interesting, like, mind-expanding thought to just answer it without any and most people have just tackled the challenge without asking questions. But Nick, I, I would, if anybody that I know would, would ask a clarifying question before, uh, you know, answering it, uh, you would be the guy. Um, we'll get into your political life in, on city council yeah. a little later <laughs> on, but um, you've always had that analytical approach of, of approaching such a thing. So um, both of you guys, I'd like you to tell me kind of what led you to this point. And that's another vague and very long-winded question, but like, what got you to whatever day it is in November? Oh, it's not November yet. It's October. It's Close. not even Halloween yet. We've So I've done like four trick-or-treating things already with my four-year-old. So it feels like Halloween's yeah. done. Yeah. And we're not going tomorrow because it's supposed to be like 33 right. degrees with sideways rain. So mm. we've already kind of like warmed her up to the idea of like, Halloween this year is movie night, eating candy on the couch. There you, you go. Know? Um so anyway, what, what led you, uh, I'll start with John. Um, give me the very short version of, uh, family life, childhood. What led you to this point being the co-owner of Foster Coffee, uh, October 30th, 2019 here in Owasso, Michigan. Just give me the. All the way from childhood? Yeah. Just give me the little wrap All up. Right. I'm going to go through your start career stuff. Conception. Yeah. 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 Okay. Just like, what was family life like? What was it like to be running around with, uh, you had six siblings, right? You're yeah, one of seven. One of seven. Yeah. Uh, my parents, uh, were pastors. And so we, um, have lived in Owasso for a long time. Um, like you said, have six siblings. So I'm one of seven. Um, and just to kind of tie it together to today real quick, I didn't realize how much them being pastors and now missionaries would actually be an entrepreneurial kind yeah. of like background or foundation. It's like the ultimate. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. It's, bizar it's yeah. bizarre. Uh, really. I never thought of it that way until semi-recently. It's but, investment in community like to the nth degree. Right. So, um, yeah, group of the large family. So I love, uh, love that, love people, love groups, love noise, um, uh, I met Nick in high school, um, so I'm fast-forwarding through a lot of stuff. But we started a band, played in a band together. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, got into coffee, and coffee was a hobby. Then it turned from a hobby into a more of a passion. Yeah. And then Nick and I got together, joined our <laughs> forces, right, and right. Uh, created Foster. You fostered that relationship even further. Yeah. Um, it's funny. You said you like noise. You played drums mm -hmm. uh, for a very long time. But... 
rewinding a little bit, you have connection to the west side of the state, don't you? Yeah. Have I seen you like talk about Grand Rapids area as being like a past home? Is that kind of where? That's where my wife's from. Oh, yeah. okay. Yep. Okay. So I okay. love Grand Rapids. Yeah. Okay. So you've kind of just had this like wide angle Michigan view. You've, you're like pure Michigan defined. There you go. And then my dad's from the Detroit area. So yeah. Okay. So, cool. And my grandma's still there and my uncle and aunt. So and you I'm, said your parents were pastors. Have they retired? They've retired. Yeah. Okay. They're doing mission work now. Okay. Mostly digging wells in Africa. Pretty cool. They're physically going over? Mm-hmm. They're, okay. They're, they're, um, yeah, they're providing clean water for people that need it. It's really awesome. So, you know, in each community, there's, there's families that like kind of take the neighborhood in, um, when they need it. And, and John's parents have always been those people. And I see that kind of manifesting itself in your adult life too. Um, I know various friends of ours, musician friends and things like that, that needed a place to stay. And they lived with John and his, <laughs> his brood for mm-hmm. a while. So, um, that makes total sense. Uh, I saw your parents, gosh. Saw your dad somewhere. I don't know. Like since I've seen you, but every time you guys run into each other, I love it. He just it's like so picks, great. Yeah, picks up where you guys left right, off. right. We were talking about that earlier. How like our friendship is like that too. Or like we can go years, and especially with somebody like that who, you know, I've never like just hung out with your dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I've just been around him from your band and from your, you know, coming over to play hockey yeah, and all those kind hockey. of things. Yeah. Um, your dad just has this uh, this aura about him. Your mom does too. You you just have a cool family. So thanks for bringing me into it, man. Appreciate I, it. I feel like family every time I'm around. Speaking of family, we're sitting in Nick's living room. What give, give me the short version of of your? We'll, we'll get into like each little step of the career and everything. But like, what was little kid life like <laughs> for Nick? <laughs> and, and like, how did it lead into where you are today with? Uh, two kids and a very cool home here in downtown Owasso. So I grew up uh, a block away on this street, actually. Oh, wow. My parents live right down the street. Closer and, to Taco Bell or farther away? Uh, a little bit farther away. Okay. So a little bit right. more north. Right. Um, this is Saginaw Street here. Oops, yeah. I just gave that away. <laughs> um, There's a house on Saginaw Street that yeah. Nick lives in. Yeah. And uh, so I think that says a lot about just kind of my journey, too, is, you know, it almost took me kind of going around the world to find that I wanted to actually stay home. And um, so I grew up here. My parents ran a fixed-based operation FBO airport here in town called Flight One. So I grew up at an airport watching Top Gun at five years old, (laughs) um, which my kids still to this, both of them, their favorite song is Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. So (laughs) if people are like, find me on Spotify and they're going to see like my my public play history, they're going to see danger zone, like played almost like four times a day. <laughs> and it's screwed up my like recommendations. Cause it's all like other Kenny Loggins songs. It's right, like, right, I don't really right. want to listen to this, right. but it's like my most played songs. Um, I've got that. Uh, I've got this trivia thing that I'm reading for my wife's uh, uh, fundraiser. I'm doing like a trivia thing and we pulled a bunch of questions that we have an audio round. And this Friday, one of the 10 songs, you have to identify what soundtrack it's off of. And Danger Zone is one of them, which is the first question. And I think yeah. it's the easiest one. But that's super funny because I literally was just playing that on Spotify the other day. And I'm yep. waiting for like recommended uh Spotify Daily Mix 4, Kenny Loggins yes. songs. It's like, wait a minute. That's not <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so grew up here in Owasso. My parents were super involved in the community uh, as business owners. My mom uh, just, you know, she worked 
a lot with the Chamber of Commerce, and she ended up taking, uh, after they uh, moved out of Flight 1, my dad still is a pilot to this day, stayed in aviation. My mom was a pilot too, so they ran the airport both as pilots and my dad as an instructor. My mom ran the business side of things. Um, and so grew up here in the community, ended up, you know, just kind of taking that spirit even further, like I would start like a furniture company as like a, a teenager and yeah. just like make tables that I sold at a local shop here. Sure. Uh, I did like wood burning stuff and just sold it. So I think definitely, you know, my parents instilled that sense of entrepreneurship in me because yeah. I just grew up in it. I didn't really have a choice. Right. You know, I, I think about that with my kids is like, they're just, they come to the coffee shop and yeah. that's just a way of life. Um, so then, like John said, we met in high school and you know, we we're talking about his parents and like still to this day, like I come across people who know Jan Moore and like the impact that he's made here in this community. Right, right. And like I say this often to to people when I describe my story is, you know, if it wasn't for meeting John and his family, like my I probably would be either dead or in prison, like the trajectory my life was going in. <laughs> Um, just getting in trouble. I mean, John jokes about this. Like I was the kid that was always getting high in high school. And, um, I like ran around the football track and my long John's like holding a flag that said, go school, like got suspended my first <laughs> week of school for super gluing a kid to his chair. So like, Dude, this is hilarious. Cause I did not know any of yes. this about you. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I know the clean version, like the, the, you know, they have like the record that has like the explicit label yeah, on it and yeah. then the clean version. I've just known the clean version of yeah. Nicholas Pydek for my whole life. And well, I just gave all my political opponents like tons of ammunition. Do you want to elect a man who ran around a track in Long John's? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but uh, yeah, I just remember, like I have this one really big impression. It was John and I, our first time playing music together. It was like bringing my amp and like little... Fender Stratocaster over to his house, to his basement. Yeah. I remember walking into his house and feeling this sense of love and acceptance that I'd like never really felt before. And like, I had great parents, great home, but it yeah. wasn't that type yeah. of, of love. It's like what you described. Like there's a, there's almost like this sense of peace and acceptance and like, right. you know, why people stay with them and why Jan and, and Debbie have made such an impact on the community was just, it was a different type like the word sanctuary comes to mind. Yeah. 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 And so I remember we went down in the basement. Our first song was, you know, Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I remember yeah, that, yeah, yeah. like the ding, 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 ding. And then right. John just came in with drums and I was like, this is the coolest thing in the world. We have to start a band. We're so good. <laughs> yeah, in reality, yeah. it was like, right. it was terrible. So uh, what, was that Skeeter or was there something before that? It was like, was ske yeah, was Skeeter. Skeeter. Okay. Just whatever. Skeeter, it throws it back. I, I didn't even put this together until we drove down the street here. But the first thing that I ever booked outside of college was this thing in Nawaso called the Kerwood festival. Mm -hmm. And Skeeter played that first year on a, on a, like a trailer in the middle of a parking lot yeah. at the armory. Yep. Yep. And, uh, I had forgotten all about that part of it. Like, it's not even part of my story when I'm like, tell my career arc of where I'm going. Um, this was, pre anything it was just me booking shows in school and then um from that somebody's like oh you know bands do you want to book this thing in this parking lot that's free and uh it was a bunch of like bands i found on mp3.com but then there was like two bands from owasso and i don't even remember <sighs> lifted was it lifted yeah, yeah, yeah. okay lifted. yeah i was gonna oh, say yeah. that's dan was yep, that yep, guy's yep. name um, it was that band and you guys were kind of like, and you have to book these two because they're from around here. 
And I was just like, okay. And you two were the only ones that had like crowds that day, you know, and the crowds <laughs> there were like 60 people, 70 people like standing there. Um, but it's super funny. Cause I, you know, I, I associate with you with, with so save me, which was the band that, you know, I booked gosh, like 20 times over the years. And we did a whole bunch of cool stuff together. Um, but you guys go way back to my roots too, which is yeah. pretty cool. So is that the time period when you were running around the track in your long johns or is that like kind of like when you were transitioning out of that point? <laughs> uh, transitioning out and okay. just, you know, m- meeting John, you know, kind of being, you know, kind of brought into the fold of, of his family. And, uh, you know, we started Skeeter and then that turned into So Save Me. And that kind of brought me on a different journey of, you know, the business side of things, which I'm, I'm sure you'll probably want to unpack and just yeah. like, Hey, how do we take this band and make it viable? And, sure. you know, that entrepreneur side started coming yeah. into it, like the, the mix of creativity and art and business. And yeah. those are like sometimes really hard things to do. Um, and then like, as John laid out, you know, we played in the band, we put out our last album, the garden, we were like, all right, how do we just end this and not owe any money? Right. And right. So we played our last show in 2012. Um, I've, Has it I, been that long? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was going Ooh. to school during that period of time, uh, graduated from Kettering with business and marketing. We ended the band. I graduated school. I was like ready to leave and move yeah. to New York and like leave my life here. I took a job for a guy uh, that was a former head of marketing for Tommy Hilfiger who had a uh, he was sh- setting up a, an agency office here after spending 25 years in New York. Worked for him for two and a half years. And John and I had always, you know, and I say this, it's like, if you can live in a van with somebody and be in a band with them and run a business with them and still not want to kill them. Right. At the end of that, <laughs> that's a pretty good business partner. Yeah. So uh, John and I had always kind of put this thing out there. Like when you want to do coffee, like let's talk. And so yeah, I got a phone call and... He's like, let's do this. Yeah. And that kind of started Foster back in 2014. And I was, uh, I was bopping around some ideas in my head for like other, uh, cool concert concepts that I could do with the new brand with audio tree presents. And, um, just the other night at the Crowfoot where I used to work, they had, um, the creepy cheapy thing where they do, uh, uh, Halloween, uh, like tributes so I started thinking about tributes and like, what could I do that would be a cool, like branded either party or whatever. I also saw they, the, one of those emo night things announced in Grand Rapids. And I just was like kind of going through my head, like what hasn't been done. And I thought about, um, that meme that goes around that says name a more iconic duo. And I started thinking about like Jay-Z and Beyonce or Kurt and Courtney or Tupac and Biggie or like people that are connected in music for all time, you know? John Lennon and Yoko Ono, but like on the local level, Nick and John, dude, like you guys have kind of been connected for a really long time. And there are a lot of really, uh, people that like, when I think of one, I immediately think of the other Hmm. and, uh, kind of that, uh, to take it from, uh, Jay and Silent Bob, like the hetero life mates thing, you know, like you guys have just been homies for super long time. And it's, it's cool to see this, this felt like a natural progression, but I'm sure as we get into it, like, it wasn't just as simple as like, I'm just going to start a thing with the guy that I was in a band with. Cause that's, you know what we're going to do. Um, these podcasts tend to answer the questions that I write down. I was going to ask you guys, if you always had the entrepreneurial bug, I had written that down and you just kind of answered that for me in your world, Nick. Have, John, has that always been a thing with you too? Or 
you always, did, did you think you were going to do your own thing or did you ever have a point where you just thought maybe you were just going to kind of fall in with like working at a corporation or, you know, punching a chat, punching, punching a clock for someone else? I think I probably didn't realize it until pretty close to foster, to be honest. <clears throat> like I was mentioning earlier, how I thought, how I grew up laid a foundation yeah. for my entrepreneurial um, future. I don't, I didn't realize it until recently. So I don't think so. I think when I was in even so save me and we were doing our own thing and Nick was doing most of the work, like I just, I don't know, I'm trying to explain it, but it just, I feel like I, I kind of would just go with the flow with a lot of things, which sure. um, also I've can kind of attribute it to my childhood too. Like everything will work out. Kind of that attitude yeah, yeah. sometimes can start to um, make you gravitate towards laziness. Like you're not, yeah. you're not actively taking control of a situation. You're just letting stuff. We had happen. a very supportive, mm-hmm. you know, that, that home, that sanctuary that I talked about, like you can feel comfortable there. Yes. Comfort is something that we all long for yep. like on a daily basis. So if you can feel that comfort more often, you're going to naturally gravitate towards that. Yep. And, and uh, so, yeah, it took, it took life events happening for yeah. me to, to, find that discomfort is normally a really good place to be. Sure. Um, so meeting my now wife, you know, at the time and realizing, oh, if I want to be a good husband and I want to provide this life and this dream that we have, I need to do A, B, and C. And that's, sure. that's getting out of this comfort zone. Right. And then um, when um, she was pregnant with our first uh, child, uh, same thing. That was when a job change happened. I was like, okay, need to make more money. need to do this, this, this. So yeah. like um, eventually, yeah. It, it took a lot of Nick. I give Nick a lot of credit for this. Like I, I didn't know where to start with the business side of things for a coffee at all. Really? Sure, sure. So the fact that we are kind of two oars in the water, so to speak, like I feel like that's really where we started. Now we've, yeah. we've melded together in a lot of areas, but that was a huge um, reason that that entrepreneurial bug finally bit, I guess, was knowing that I had somebody um, that I could trust and um, care about that had the best intentions for me as well to kind of pull me into that entrepreneurial world. Yeah. I think just going back to how these podcasts kind of run themselves. um, My next question, uh, and we're not going to do this every time because I think we're going to walk through a lot of this stuff naturally, but I wanted to ask you how dad life Mm -hmm. changed you. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know this, but you're one of like three or four people that I saw bring a kid into this world that finally took me and went, okay, if, if, if John can do this in the, the piecemeal creative life that he's built for himself, if John can do this, I can do this. And you were literally one of the two or three people I saw just, just from like Facebook and Instagram and, you know, seeing each other once every couple of years, I knew that you weren't like there, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You were super talented and you had all these different things and you were a super important part of your community and all those things. You had this, this base around you, but you weren't like, you know, making hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. You know, at that, at that point you were just selling insurance, I believe, mm-hmm. which is, you know, yep. kind of more punching the clock sort of thing. Um, I was at this point where it was like, I was 35, 36 years old. And it was like, man, when am I going to get to that point where I'm like comfortable with the idea of bringing a mm-hmm. kid in the world? And it, it kind of, it was you, it was, uh, the owner of the Crowfoot, Dan, um, which I didn't have as much back history with with him, and then uh, Nicole, who is the booker at the Pyramid Scheme, mm-hmm. and they all live these like creative, crazy, twelve-hour day, wild lifestyle kind of things. As like, 
I say wild lifestyle, but they're very, re- you're a very responsible person. You just have a very active and crazy amount of things happening in your life. And if you were like, dude, I can do this. Then I was like, I can do this too. So tell me how dad life, uh, we'll start with John, how it changed your life. And then Nick, you joined the fraternity a, a couple years later. <laughs> um, but like, how did dad life, uh, how did, how did bringing kids into this world? And you've got three and one more on the way. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, um how did that change your approach? Man, cry a lot more. Yes. <laughs> Dude, yes. <laughs> Go back and watch movies that you've seen where like something bad happens to a child. And before you're like, oh, that sucks. Ooh, but then right. now it's like, I can't watch this. Or uh, yeah. I'm like, tear, you're like tearing up and crying. Your day apart. Uh, or, yeah, exactly right. Like think about it for days. It's nuts. Right. Um, uh, so that that's like the kind of, that's true, but it's also kind of funny side of it. Uh, my biggest thing, and I always tell people, is that when I got married, my understanding of love doubled. Like, yeah. this is what love is, this is what love means, you know, this is what working working in a relationship to love one another means. And then from there, when Jack was born, I feel like it quadrupled from there. It was yeah. like, how in the world could I love something this much? You know, like, right. it was like my understanding just, it would just change my world. Um, well, you, like, you know, you love your wife uh, exponentially more every year, and you 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 have that same feeling when you get married. You're like, how could I love? And then like, but your wife could survive without you. Mm-hmm. I maybe couldn't survive without my wife, but she could survive without me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your kid, it's a different story. Like you're the protector, you're the net, you're the safety net, you're the you're the the shield. You're like, it's the same amount of love with also this like um, this like haunting but beautiful fragility mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. like yeah it ties that together where you're just like okay every every move that i make every thought that i have it doesn't put pressure on to be better in a negative way but it doesn't a positive way like i'm i'm, I'm going to do this thing today knowing that it's going to benefit my kid down the road mm-hmm. and my wife too and me too but like this kid can't make its own decisions yet yeah. you know yeah and now Jack's six and he can make plenty of his own decisions, mm-hmm. but yeah. Very cool. How about you, Nick? Uh, you're a little newer to the uh, fraternity, but you've got two now. And how old's the oldest one? Two years. Two yeah. years. So I have two and one. Oh my goodness. Are you, yeah. are you going to have, are you going to chase down John and have four <laughs> plus? No, that's, we're not in competition in that regard. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> you compete. Uh, you probably compete. Um, uh, healthily on other things, but not in that regard at all. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing for me that's changed my perspective is, you know, when we started foster, John had kids already. I think Jack was already mm-hmm. born and was Harry on the way. This Harry's on the way. Yep. So, and I remember having a conversation with him, you know, it's funny that you mentioned you used him as like a, like a guidepost, a sure. guidepost. Yeah. Because, I remember a conversation with him basically saying like, it's not going to get any easier. Like, right. What are you waiting start for? A business, sure. you know? And, and I was saying that was like a single guy with like no debt and no spouse or like right. anything. I'm like, yeah, John, it's fine. Just start a business. But, <laughs> right. um, <laughs> but, uh, the thing that changed for me. So while we were building that and going after, you know, this concept of building foster and, you know, same thing with the band is that my perspective changed definitely when I got, married when I got married the year I started dating uh, my now wife, like the year we started foster. So it was like a lot of things happened at once. Like we started the business and then I got married and um, 
So a lot transpired in, in a short amount of time. And then we had kids like really quickly after that. So uh, the thing that changed for me was what I'm actually building. Like, you know, for me, in my mind, it was like, oh, I'm building Foster to, to build this company. Yeah. But now everything has changed. Like, well, what am I doing for these kids? And I'm and it's like I went in a short term mindset to a long, long term like, what's the long play on this? Right. Like, what does 20 years look like? What right. does this community look like in 10 years? What does yeah. it look like when they're, when, when we're handing off this torch to them? Yeah. What is the legacy that we're leaving behind? And the biggest thing that's, you know, changed in my perspective is what is of value to me. And, yeah. you know, you, you know, I've read a lot of biographies and you watch, you know, I was even watched this latest Bill Gates documentary on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I asked the question, like, if we build all of these things, if, you know, whether it's, you know, you run for a political office or you're building a business, but then you lose your family, like, what do you, what do you really gain? Yeah. You know, I think about, and I don't know Bill Gates' relationship with his kids and they talk about in that documentary, he's going to leave them $5 million so that they have enough to start their own thing, but not like ruin them with this exorbitant amount of wealth. But I think about, you know, how much time he had to build this, you know, massively huge company that's changed the world. Yeah. But what was his relationship with his kids like? Yeah. Did, do they know him? It's like $5 million is great, but did right. they have a dad growing up? My dad and I had the same conversation, but there was less zeros. It was more like $5 each. For <laughs> yeah. Us. yeah. But like, look at Steve Jobs, you know, like right. his daughter and him were estranged for so much of their life. And right. so, and again, it's like, everybody's going to value something differently. So like when I had kids, it's like, I just think about what are the decision that, decisions that I make that are going to affect the core strength of our family? Because yeah. Foster will come yeah. and go. And like, yeah. we can look at So Save Me. And it was our world while we were in it. Right. Just like, I'm sure yeah. you look back and say, Fusion was my world while I'm in it. Yeah. But it changes and it can change in 24 hours. Right. But yeah. like with the the fickleness of the things that we do in life, whether it's work or creative ventures, like all of those things are a value. But there's one thing that, is consistent. And that is like, I'm either going to screw my kids up or I'm going to help them succeed. Right. And I don't want to put my dreams and my creativity or what I'm building. I don't want to put my kids on the altar and sacrifice them to do that. Like I've told John this and I've come to terms with it. And I did with so is like, I'm willing to walk away from this. Yeah. If it, if it means the health of something that's of more value to me and not get lost in the weeds for that. So. Well, and it's funny because that you, you, when you, when you think about business, you always think about the urgency and like the attention to detail and all those things. And you get to, you ramp yourself up in it so much sometimes that it's a real negative. And if you take that, that approach of like, okay, look, this is all, I don't want to call it fleeting because I don't want to call foster fleeting. I don't want to call what I'm doing at audio tree fleeting or anything that you're doing that you're passionate about. But like, there's going to be something else that comes along that you're passionate about. And if you treat it with that, it almost relaxes you to the point where you're more efficient and you're more, um, you just get to the point without having to like work yourself up and make everything so crazy. Like, look, this coffee company is very important to me, but it's a hundred percent secondary to what's going on at home. It's a hundred percent secondary to what I'm doing in my community or how this affects the community. And like that almost takes it. And if you can, push that through to the people that are around you, it like relaxes the whole scenario. That's kind of what I'm feeling right now is that same kind of thing. And maybe that comes from comfort in some fashion where the people are more comfortable or less comfortable at home. They're happier. They're not as happy at home, but I I feel like just like refocusing on the things that are super important 
changes the way the business looks. You know, it looks powerful. It looks impressive. It looks, it looks kind of like a family scenario, you know, and you want to draw your line between like work and family, obviously, like you don't want to call your employees, your family or treat them like that. Cause there's nuances that go into family stuff that you <laughs> want to leave out, you know, like mm -hmm. your wife sees you at your worst, also at your best, hopefully, but definitely at your worst. And you don't want your employees to see that. So you don't want to treat them the same way, but it's still, if you bring forth that, like, look, you made a mistake, let's fix it. It's not the end of the world. It's just a coffee company. As long as you're good and we're good, we move forward. It, it like kind of changes, changes the whole scenario. So, um, let's throw it back to children again, this whole thing. You didn't know that we were just going to talk about kids the whole time. <laughs> uh, when you guys were kids, and then also kind of plug in what you're seeing with your kids. What are your early memories of music? Uh, Nick, you want to take this one first? Like what, what was the first music that you remember? Danger Zone. Okay. <laughs> all right. No, um, that, that to some extent is true. I, you know, I actually have a video of Frankie watching a video of my, my older brother. I have two siblings, older sister, older brother. My older brother watched like dancing to Danger Zone. Oh, nice. And so my dad would play records of, you know, the Top Gun soundtrack or La Bamba or Billy Joel. Yeah. Um, you know, and music was a big part of my, my family. If I look back at all these videos and my mom digitized everything, it's like music shows up a lot. Right. Cause I was big in my family. You know, my mom was a trained opera singer and classical pianist and uh, went to New York for uh, just under a little over a year to, to pursue an opera career and decided to move back and came to Kalamazoo. And that's where she met my dad. So music's on that side of the family. Uh, my dad's not really musical, but like he likes music. He right. loves music. And so it was always in our home. So that's kind of my first uh, set of memories is dancing and just running around the living room, listening to records. Right. And how many siblings did you have? I have an older sister, or older brother. So okay. I'm the youngest of three. Okay, cool. What about you, John? What was your first? Well, definitely, definitely music. church, you know, going yeah. to church and, uh, there was the uh, music. My dad is a really good pianist. My mom sang, um, and then my uncle, uh, was always in bands, um, in the Detroit area. So, yeah, that's my earliest memories is, is a lot of music at church. My dad playing the piano. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that was like the biggest dream when I was younger. I was like, I want to be in the church band. Like that yeah. was the coolest thing. But yeah. uh, like a lot of really great artists, um, that's where a lot of people started. And it was really cool. Got got some mentorship from some pretty great musicians. Yeah. So when did drums come into play? And was that the first thing you picked up or I don't, that's yeah. the funny thing. We, we like identify musicians as what they play in the band mm -hmm. that you've seen them in. Mm -hmm. Um, Tyler, our producer can play all kinds of stuff. Uh, I've seen him play all kinds of stuff. His, his band Parkway in Columbia has a lot of instruments in it and he's played a lot of instruments in other bands, but I always like, you're the drummer, Nick, you're the vocalist and the guitar player, but like, did it start with drums for you or did it start somewhere else? Alto saxophone. <laughs> okay. All right. Like in, in elementary in school, school band. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So I went to a really small, uh, private school and, uh, we would get, lugged over to the local public school and uh, got a saxophone, started playing that all through elementary and middle school. Okay. At the same time in middle school, um, we had a need for a bass player at the church band. So I learned okay. bass first. Right. And then from there, I just always wanted to play the drums. So I just started playing drums and that was in middle school. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what then, about you, Nick? Where did, uh, what was first for you and how did it 
end up to being the front man with the guitar? I took uh, piano lessons uh, in eighth grade uh, for a year and just felt some frustration of not being able to play the songs I heard on the radio. So I ended up just saving up my money and bought a guitar in ninth grade. And that's when I just started learning songs. And that's when I met John. And so I went from piano to guitar and then it was like, well, we need a singer. And it was almost like, well, I guess I'll do it. You know, it wasn't even like I, I, I probably had a terrible voice and not even saying it's good now, but, um, so just out of necessity kind of yeah. fell into that role. Yeah. I, 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 uh, sometimes you can tell, you know, the band that was like, all right, that person is a vocal, like genius. Like, you, you know, your mom is classically trained in opera. Like you, you hear her sing and I'm sure, it's just like, oh my God, like she was born with that. Alison Krauss, you go see someone on stage and you're like, holy moly. And then you see bands and it's like, okay, this is the band that like, which one of the four of us can sing the best. You worked hard on your vocal craft. I feel like from the time that I knew you. Yeah. You know, I think you had, you had to, it wasn't like you were just born like Alison Krauss with it, but no. um, how would you describe, so is it just the two bands then, Skeeter and So Save Me? Is that the musical career of the two of you guys, as far as bands go? With some various side projects. <laughs> yeah. What did what? Walk me through it. Skeeter was Skeeter was a little more like pop punk. Blink one eighty two, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Okay. I don't clearly remember. That's it was probably you. for the best. You don't remember. It was it. the two of you, and was Rat in that band yep. too? Yeah. And that was one of the things too. You talk about necessity. It's like we Rhett was our friend. We're like Rhett, join our band. He's like, I don't play any instruments. We'll just learn how to play bass. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so that he did, and in a yeah, in a, a Blink One Eighty Two style band, as long as you could rip through some chords, like mm-hmm. you're you're pretty good. So yep. it takes six months, and and you're there. Um, when did Skeeter turn into So Save Me, and when did So Save Me become a thing that you put priority into, and it wasn't just like the fun thing you did around the neighborhood? I always think about when Skeeter transitioned to So Save Me, and for me, and this could just be individual, but if for some reason Coheed and Cambria was the thing that always stuck out to me. Wow. This progressive kind of music that was somehow getting intertwined, intertwined with like the the pop punk, punk slash emo, yeah. you know, space. So that was, for me, a big thing that influenced me. I was like, let's write something that's a little bit more serious, a little bit more, yeah. you know, progressive and not just pop punk, even though I was still a fan of pop punk and punk and um so anyways for me i don't know i don't know what happened with all of us because you definitely started writing some different music because nick was the primary like hey here's a idea for a song and we'd kind of go from there right so what was it for you that's what i'm curious about what was it that took skeeter and switched that flip that switch because i feel like we kind of got quote unquote serious and kind of a probably just hormone changes in my body i guess <laughs> yeah it was like in high school um i think just you know, I think probably more self-reflective, just kind of finding identity. It was through high school, which is like a like crazy time for any yeah. person to yeah. find their identity and figure yeah. out what's happening in life. And, uh, you know, I think I went through this phase in high school, and this is me just kind of analyzing it. You know, I'm sitting on a couch now, and you guys are my shrinks. But, um, you know, looking back and saying like, we did the pop punk thing cause it was fun. And it's like, you could sing about, like we wrote a song about the Olsen twins. Like, right. you know, like <laughs> I can't wait for my date with Ashley and Mary Kate, like the most profound lyrics you've ever heard. And, uh, then we switched to, so save me. I think I just started diving a little bit deeper into like what makes Nick tick and like, what sure. am, what am I wrestling with? And so from a writing perspective, I think that ultimately, you know, 
push the name change and the focus change because it's like we're not this fun band anymore. It's we're not like, fun anymore. <laughs> we're like our the topics we're of our song now. are like yeah. I'm wrestling with these demons, yeah, and not Olsen twins. So we kind of had to restructure. <laughs> my my mind didn't go to a bad place with the wrestling. I just, was thinking like full on like high school wrestling mat and <laughs> right, right. WWE like tossing one of them off. They're the like the, they're like yeah. the feature because they're right. like a team or sure. whatever. Yeah, right, right. Uh, Amazing. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, way to just like minimize <laughs> do, do me exposing it? my heart to you. Yeah, the, visualizing the two of you in a tag team match with Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen is pretty hilarious. But anyway, back to serious, uh, not fun stuff. Um, so I think, yeah, writing wise, that was the transition. And then yeah. I think, you know, to go one step further, once we finished high school, is like, now what do we do with this? Like, if we're going to do this, then let's do it. Because right. we were like, well, are we going to go to high school? Are we going to go to college? Are we going to, you know, yeah. like make this a career? Like, that's where we were ask- asking these questions and we didn't quite know how to figure it out. So we were like trying to put a structure to it. Was there a moment where you thought that So Save Me could be a, like a career? Yes, I, I have a definitive moment. I was at Lansing Community College studying architecture, and uh, I took a an elective class called band management. And oh wow, they were talking about you can write off your guitar strings and like yeah. your gas expenses. And I was like, uh, so you're telling me I can get a tax incentive to to run my my band as a company? And yeah. so that just started. That was kind of the eye opener. Like, okay, this is this isn't just a hobby. Like, how do you build a structure to this? Which right. then led to like, okay, well, how does it pay the bills? Okay, how does this become a career? So that moment wasn't like, I want to do this with my life. It was like, I'm doing this now. How do I make this better? Yeah. And, and you know, I was still working part-time jobs and wherever right, I could make right. money. It wasn't like I saw it. I didn't see it as a ticket towards, you know, revenue. I saw it as a ticket towards continuing to do what I, I love to do. Yeah. And my parents, you know, also had some pretty great boundaries for me. They're like, okay, well, if you're going to drop out of a college and, you know, do this music thing, then you have to start paying us rent if you want to live here. So they were like, they were very specific about, yes, we support your dreams, but you can't be lazy about it. So it's almost like we, I had to get serious pretty quickly if I was going to do it. It wasn't like, I didn't have the freedom to just live at home, do whatever I wanted and not have any plan. Like they wanted to see, what are you going to do to make this work? That's a perfect transition into John, who lives in a sanctuary where he's very comfortable. Did you ever have that similar conversation with your family, or was it more that like you had the capability to to go along for the ride? I guess you know. And and was there a point? Was it always kind of like Nick being the gas pedal, and y'all just kind of like going with whatever Nick's? Uh, ambitions were or did you were you ever part of that like push early on um again it's like fun to talk about it now because it's like a reflective thing about how did i feel at that time yeah. and then, like what do i yeah. think about it now yeah they're very different but at the time i know that i'm i guess i'm still guilty of this in some ways but way more than just like that um kind of eternal optimism of yeah. like oh, i'm gonna be a rock star and like but like <laughs> that's like A to Z and then I didn't care about B through Y, you know right, what I mean? So right. like that was where I feel like Nick was like instrumental, um, was like, he was the one that was like, guys, in order to do this, we need to tour this much. We need to make this much. We need to, you know, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So, well, if everybody was that guy in a band or if everybody was 
you in a band, it wouldn't work. That's why these things work together is right. because you have somebody who can lay out the plan from A to Z and then one that just like, I'm just going to rock, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So along the way you had Justin and was it Austin? Uh, tell me the, okay. So how many records? Like, give me the discography and then give me the kind of like who else was in the band throughout the So Save Me time period. Well, going back to Skeeter, we released one album. Yeah. And we, what do we call this? Skeeter's Christmas Spectacular or something? That was like just a three piece with so. just, just you guys and Rhett, right? Three piece? Uh, well, my friend Ryan as well. Okay. Yep. Right. And, um, but yeah, yeah, Christmas Extravagant. It was not a Christmas album, but we called it the Christmas Extravagant. And we used our high school library to print all the yes. CD and Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Um, and then uh, we transitioned. So that was me, Rhett, Ryan, and Nick. And we transitioned into So Say Me, the same lineup. Then Ryan was like, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore. So it was just a three piece for a while. Right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, Nicholas met Justin in uh, college. college at LCC. Yep. He was studying architecture as well. Who is now the marketing director for Foster? Working on marketing? He's team? working on the marketing team. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It was good to see him earlier today. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, Rhett ended up moving. And so, uh, we, uh, had our buddy Austin join the band and that was pretty much the lineup until the end. Um, yeah. with, with a few tours, we had a couple friends filling on bass for Austin. Um, Kayla Bryant was a really great dude. And also my buddy, Josh. Yeah. Yep. And that was from, so, so, so we started in 2004 and it went through through 2012. So that's a remarkably, uh, stable lineup for such a long time. What, what do you think lent to that? Just convenience, or was there? It paid so well. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> uh, from my perspective, and I'm sure Nick has a different opinion, but um, I think we were, us being friends, like first, just like we just liked each other in yeah. general. And then everyone brought their own thing to the table. Um, you know, uh, we always talked about, you talk about the mom and the dad of the group, right? Like we always talked about that. Like Nick was the dad, I was the mom. So like we okay. were kind of like the, uh, Nick was the one that's like, all right, we got to get this done. And I was the one that was like, all right, come on, guys. Like, you know, yeah. kind of. Um, nurturing in that way. And then yeah. uh, Justin was just an incredible guitarist. I still say like, I, I, I think he's really under appreciated, underrated just for whatever. Uh, you know how you watch people and, and the guitar looks like it's part of their yeah, person. That's Justin, Justin always struck yes. me as that. Like, like Andrew uh, Mara that was in Vega and whatever else, but Fister and all the different Owasa bands, like he was born with a guitar. Just mm-hmm. it's like another appendage for him. And Justin always struck me as the type that like, He's not playing an instrument. He's just making music with another part of his body. Yep. And so that was something that, uh, not to get too far off the tracks, but he, I, I'll go back once more, you know, right, this has happened in the past where I would listen to some of our old stuff and I'd listen to a guitar line and be like, my word, that is good. Like, that is really right. good. Right. And like, not just, not just technicality, but also like flow, dynamic, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Justin's super talented. Um, so he brought that drive to it, songwriting, really caring about the craft and the song. And then Rhett, um, and he probably would say this too, he just brought the fun. He's yeah. like, I'm going to be fun. I'm not going to be confrontational. I'm going to yeah. go along with the flow. Um, that was really, really powerful. Then Austin was kind of the same way. We called him a puppy dog. So he'd oh, kind of he's, just... He's so sweet. He's <laughs> yeah. just the sweetest human We'd hand being. him flyers and be like, go fly to these girls. Be like, yeah. Okay. He just starts running. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. He He's just the most willing and, and sweet human being on the planet. And... um one of my favorite people for sure. So records. Oh yeah. Uh, uh how many? I think so I, I just say five. Cause five? I think that encompasses like we did an acoustic EP, yeah. you know, we did 
you know, the, the two full lengths we did were a ghost at sea in the garden. Those were like the last two we put out. Sure. We did uh, ghost at sea. We recorded with the Odie brothers. Yeah. Brothers. Yep. Uh, in Grand Rapids. And then the garden we recorded in Cleveland, Tennessee with, um, uh, Tyler, Tyler, or who oh, you yeah, know, worked yeah. on as cities burn. Yeah. Um, so those are like the two ones that I mentioned. I don't even think you can find the other ones sure. anywhere. So. Those two stand up, man. They still stand up. And it's funny. Um, Spotify has changed their formula on their uh, daily mix uh, uh, playlist that they put out that like are supposed to like take your musical, like you said, it feeds you Kenny Loggins songs after you listen to Danger Zone. It's feeding me local stuff and your and and so save me comes up on there quite a bit in like this playlist that also has like me without you and as cities burn. It's really like weirdly intuitive. Hmm. It also sucks because it only takes like nine or 10 bands and then it just like repeats them uh, again. Yeah. Kind of like Pandora. Yeah. I never liked Pandora because it was like, oh, you're on the Metallica station and every third song is Metallica. <laughs> you know, um, the daily mixes used to be like. They probably based it on one band, but then you only saw that one band once and then it was like 50 songs in a row and then it would finally repeat something. And now it's like, but I've seen So Save Me, Wolves and Machines, Your Best Friend, all coming up on this channel that also has like Me Without You and Lydia and Manchester Orchestra. And I'm like, what a great, uh, like Spotify's maybe not doing it for you, but it's doing it for me. Like what a great uh, compliment to what you guys did with those last two records to have those songs popping up with, you know, acts that are doing it still, mm -hmm. you know, or, or running around selling out arenas and theaters and things like that, that it holds those last two records on the same plane as anything that was put out in that time period from acts that you guys maybe uh, had similar like vibe to, whether it was thrice or Anne Berlin or whoever. So the garden for me still stands up. I mean, it's, it, it I, I play that record quite often awesome. and it's powerful and it's big. It's just massively huge. Um, tell me about the process of like recording that and going down, like to go from like the Odie brothers, which are great dudes, mm -hmm. Grand Rapids, hardcore, like yes. icons. And yes. I know you're a big hardcore guy. Yep. Um, but to go from like recording with the Odies to like kind of taking a step and going out and getting a quote unquote producer that, you know, has some success. What was that whole experience like? Uh, for me, I think the big thing was just we lived in the studio outside of the state for a whole month. Like with the Odie brothers, we we spent the night there once, I think, at their studio. But we could come back to Owasso and kind of go back to our normal lives and right. go back for a weekend. Um, so for me, it was like we lived in mm -hmm. the studio. Like we slept on couches and air mattresses and like cooked food outside of the studio. And like we were just, oh, we were 100% immersed in it. Yeah, yeah. And that from the creative process was just... And we went down there, I think, with four songs. Oh, wow. To record a full length. And we had yeah. some ideas and stuff. And we ended up recording like 11 songs. We, we had 10 make the album. I remember like, um, More and Us. I just, I, I don't, I think I wrote that one there and just, you, you know, it's an electric guitar and me singing. I think yeah. I did it in like one take. We just, we did that. Um, Tides, which is on that album. I was going through like a, a, a a tough relationship breakup and, and just, you know, also looking at other people in the band and they were, it, it was a tough time, I think for all of us managing relationships yeah. because 
the guys were married or in, you know, committed relationships. And so start to be like an adult thing now yeah, and, and, not and, just like and a observing thing, right. some things happening, not just in my life. It wasn't just about me. And, uh, I just remember coming into the guys, they were like watching Indiana Jones. I don't know why I remember this because we had <laughs> set up like a projector and I was like, guys, I want to show you this song. And I like, I just stepped away and wrote this song. I was right. like in one of those like right. emotional like phases. And that was a song where it just like kind of came out. Like there's songs that you have to work on and like you have to toil over. And then there's songs that's just like, I wrote this whole song. Right. And like, I, as I'm writing it, I sang the whole song, yeah, you know? Yeah. And uh, I remember presenting it to them. And there's this video of us that we had a photographer and videographer down there, uh, Joe Madison, who we still work with today, which Dude, is funny enough. I love Joe and Erica so much. Yes. And he just recorded it yeah. and we just played it. And it was like the, all the vibes, all the feels, like everything you could about the song just like came together in the studio. And yeah. so that was like a very impressionable moment of that wouldn't have happened. I don't think if we were back in our normal lives and right. we were here in Michigan. And so it, it was only in the immersive state of where you could just be a band for a few weeks that, that, that could even live. Yes. Mm -hmm. Doing that at home in your basement or whatever. And then like calling the guys together the next day at practice or at the studio, just, it wouldn't have made sense. Yeah. Dude, Joe and Erica, let's talk about them. They're so great. Yeah. They're so great. Joe, have you ever seen the American opera video when we got stranded on Beaver Island? It was a similar. Yes. Long time. That was a few years ago. Yeah. It was quite a few years ago yeah. when I was still managing John American opera Yeah, yeah. and we took him up and he played a show and did like a, like a career day. Mm-hmm at the Beaver Island High School. So we flew over on the plane and then it, we got fogged in. And Joe did this incredible video just documenting the whole, like he just knew to like have the camera on because he knew something was about to go down. Yeah. And it's that same feeling, it, it totally not a serious thing. We turned it into this totally like funny yeah. Yeah, it's thing, but it's just like the idea of, of immersing yourself. When you go to Beaver Island, you're immersed immediately. You're just like, you're surrounded by water. There's nothing you can do. Like, And to document that and to get that like feeling of, it was only a day. We got delayed a day, but he ended up missing a show on Mackinac Island because we couldn't get off the island. Mm. We like got on the plane and the guy's like, we're going to go, we're going to go. And then he'd like rev it up and then they'd be like, no, 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 come, you know. So we actually had to get back off the plane and then we did it again. And then we were going to get on the boat and then the boat had already left. And it was this whole thing. We were just like this misery and agony that came with like missing one show. But Joe captured it so perfectly. He has that like amazing ability to just like, use video and photo to like capture moments. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many creative people in this area that you, that have radiated around the two of you, you know, just walking into foster today and like seeing Shannon and seeing Justin and just like, I got five hugs in like a minute and it was like, <laughs> I don't live here. I haven't been here in a long time. And it's just like, you guys have this like aura around you that creates that. And that comes from, sounds like from both of your family, like upbringings. And, and I think too, you know, you know, Nate, it, part of it comes back to is when you find and for John and I, and this is probably your segue for you here is, yeah. you know, like what, what John and I talk about music and how that translates to what we're doing now. Like, I feel like we're doing the same thing we've always done. It's just a different format. So right. instead of music, it's coffee. Yeah. And so instead of, you know, a photo like, a, a booking agent, you know, or a venue owner, it's a manager or a, a roast, somebody who's a, roasting. Yeah. 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 Or it's somebody a, in the community that yeah. you know we partner with. And so, but it comes back to this idea of people and just wanting to be 
around people and live in community. And community can mean a lot of things. It, you know, we're in a in a Waso community, yep. but then there's layers and circles and overlapping, you know, networks of people. And uh, you know, I think for us when we found in in So Save Me, when we found people that we just liked to be around, yeah, and people that we liked working with. So like we still work with Joe. Yeah. And we worked him when he was with Sky Photography. And yeah. Aaron McCall, who's now, you know, doing his own thing in Grand Rapids and right. you know, working for a firm there. Like he designed our our bags that our coffee is in. And right. you know, so we've taken this and Justin, you know, he works on our team and right. so it's just because we love people and we and when we find people that like you can trust and people that you you appreciate their craft. Like I can't do what Joe does. I can't do what Aaron does. I can't do what John does. I can't right. do what Justin does. Right. And assembling that team has always been the thing. It's like, we get to do this together and we're building a structure around it that allows us to do that because it produces income. Like we're not a charity. We're not a nonprofit, right. Right. but we like the people that we work with. Yeah. And that to me is like, that's one of the, the great things we get to control is we don't have to you know, John and I worked a lot of crappy jobs right. and we didn't like the people we worked with and we didn't like the environment. And it's like, we get to set a different culture yeah. and we get to say, we do like this and we do like these people and we do want to figure out how to resolve conflict and then e equip people to figure out how to do that. That's a, a necessary life skill, whether you work at Foster or not. And uh, yeah, so that's the cultural, like, I think consistency from music to coffee for us is- yeah working with people we like and, and focusing on, we get to be around and serve people, each other uh, as a staff, but then the people that are coming in and yeah. buying coffee or right, just, right, right. you know, meeting there is, there's so many elements of people that- The atmosphere is so good there. You guys have nailed the atmosphere of a coffee shop and what it's supposed to be so well. And it's, it's, it's Thank impressive. You, it's super impressive. To rewind just a little bit, cause I want to get into Foster and kind of how it all came together. Two part question for John, mm -hmm. the band- when did it become time to wrap it up? And when did coffee start for you? Cause you've identified that Nick is the business guy in foster and you're the coffee guy. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. And definitely, like I said, we've, we've, I think melded together in a lot of ways now. Sure. But that's kind right. of how it really started. Right. Um, so, uh, let's see. So we identified that 2012 was the, yep. was the farewell show, but at what point, through the garden process, was it already kind of like the writing on the wall at that point that this was probably going to be the last record or was the garden like the, let's take our shot and go home or, you know what I mean? Like for me <laughs> speaking individually, yeah. Um, I think it was, it was, it was that it was like the, we had been doing it for a while. Um, you know, especially towards the end, we were getting more serious about it. I would say like yeah. we were like, you know, touring being, a lot, yeah, touring yeah. more, yeah, yeah. um, just being smarter with how we did things. Um, you know, planning out more strategy wise, not just like playing shows, you sure, know, right. um, saying no sometimes. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, so throughout that, it, it really did turn into a lot of work as much as we loved it. And as much as I still, still like miss playing shows, like it was right. a ton of work. Yeah. So I think it just got to a point where I, um, me and Hannah got married. Um, she got pregnant and just all these things I like had to like kind of step back and look at like, where, what does this look like moving forward? Yeah. And in my, my life, and this is me, it was like, I don't see this being a, it's not, it's not my passion. Um, like that I want to do the rest of my life as much as I love music, still love music. Yeah. It wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. So I envy people who can take that passion for music and just keep going. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but so that, that was it for me. Uh, and then I'll let Nick tell his side of the story, but, 
um, it was really hard. I brought it up to Nick, just me, I just confided in him and he had expressed like, I've been thinking the same thing. So it was right. almost just like time, you know? Right. It was yeah. that thing that you were carrying per individually and didn't mm -hmm. have to carry cause he was having the similar mm -hmm. thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, my wife and I had a moment like that the other day where we were both like frustrated about finances but we were both like afraid to like bring the other one in mm -hmm. and like spread the frustration. And then we finally did it and we realized that we were both having the exact same thought. It was like, yeah. Oh, why didn't we just like, why don't we just trust that this can just be out in the open? You yeah. know, like we're, we're homies. You two are homies. Like, yeah. let's just say this. Talk and then about. like, yeah, let's, yeah. It's just a reminder sometimes that like, you don't need to build it up and, and carry it alone. You know, that's why you have, Bands. That's why you, it, you know, so everyone's not just a solo musician. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like it's supposed to be carried together. Yep. So, and not, again, not to get too far off the tracks. Uh, that's what this is for. It's a podcast. <laughs> yeah, There's no, no time. Well, There's I saying, literally, I have to be home by like four o'clock today. So, as the, long as uh, we can do that. The conflict thing, like that's something we practice now in our business. And I think we really learned some lessons with um, So Save Me. And it's helped me in my life is like embracing conflict. Sure. Like I even talked about earlier, you can use different words for it. I said, you say oh, I was in a comfortable place. And I said, like, an uncomfortable place is okay. Why is it uncomfortable? Normally because there's conflict there. Yeah. So I need to make more to support my family was a big thing, right? So for me, it was, I will, I have to learn a skill I don't know. I have to change my work, like everything, my work schedule. Yeah. Uh, I had to wear dress codes every day to the insurance office, like, et cetera, et cetera. And those are all little places of conflict. But with, with people, it's even more present, you know, and they matter yeah. more. So yeah. why not embrace that conflict and just say, hey, here's an issue. Let's just right. walk into this, uh, this area of conflict together. And we'll, you know, if both people have the intent at heart to walk out with the other's best interest, it's going to be all right. Yeah. It's going to be good. What so was, where did coffee come in? Coffee. Thank you. I was going to say, what was the second question? Uh, was it just that in order to go to the insurance company at 7 a.m. every morning, you had to mainline coffee to survive started way before that actually <laughs> believe it or not so um didn't like coffee really my uh my coffee journey is kind of fun uh the first time i had a cup of coffee that like was intentional was uh at the genesee valley mall at the coffee beanery mine too by the way yeah. which is so weird which in a separate story in the separate yeah, separate story. Story. Yep. that's amazing i was shopping with my family yeah my i was with my sister <laughs> my older sister Elizabeth, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> was like uh i'm gonna get a coffee and she's like here you should get one. I was like, I don't, I don't drink coffee. She's like, well, right. just get a white chocolate mocha. It's really good. I said, okay. So I got a white That's chocolate mocha. That's the exact same drink Are my sister joking? bought me. No, That's, I never th knew this is wild. Really? Yes. Come on. This is why I'm we're doing this. You. This, this literal moment is why this is happening. <laughs> I just learned this about you. It's amazing. So I took a drink and I was like, oh, I don't like that. It still tastes too much like coffee. She's like, just ask him to put more white chocolate in it. <laughs> so I went up and asked for more white chocolate. So, uh, that's where it started. I, um, um, started uh, just drinking like really sweet drinks, you know? Yeah. And then uh, from there I realized, you know, I kind of do like the the coffee part of it when it's done well. Yeah. So in Michigan at the time, and I don't want to offend anybody just because I wasn't aware of them, but at the sure. time I didn't really know of many coffee places that were like higher quality. I just knew the chains. Right, yeah. And Craft coffee was not where it is now. Craft anything yeah. wasn't where it is now. True. Beer, liquor. Anything. Anything. So Pizza. We started when we started traveling. It was when it really took off. I'm really hungry. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say, let's get let's get food after this. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah. So we started traveling, you know, to other cities, like Chicago, Austin, Atlanta, etc. Yeah, 
And you start to see these coffee shops and they're really, really good. Or the little trailers or yeah. little roadside stands and whatever. And you're just like, oh my gosh. Exactly. Yeah. So um, for so I started getting all excited about all these different coffee places while I was learning what craft coffee was. Yeah. Um, discovered a wonderful craft coffee roaster here in uh, Michigan, Madcap. Um, oh, they, you were obsessed with Madcap. Yeah. You kind of probably still are. Yeah, I love them. To they're, a certain they're, degree. Their coffee is so good. Yeah. And, um, but drink started drinking their coffee and just discovering more and more started buying equipment. Um, Nick likes to bring up. I, I mean, it was cool towards the end. I was bringing a suitcase dedicated to coffee equipment. It was literally, you know, we're, yeah. we're trying to find all these little crevices for all of our pieces of equipment. I'm sure. like, don't forget the coffee. <laughs> the coffee nice. Bag. Nice. But uh, man, you guys were spoiled. I like we brought a grinder, a kettle, pour over setup. He would make it for us almost every yeah. morning. Yeah. yeah. A lot of speed toured one tour with like a, like this fold out, um, little mini stove and they would do stir fries with this big giant uh, oh, I love it. walk yeah. Oh, yeah and chad the guitar player from the band was like the guy so their rider became like all this like fancy stir fry ingredients <laughs> and every show you'd go down and in the basement you just hear this sizzling and it would smell like it's i mean he was an incredible cook and it was the same type of thing the rest of the band was just like we don't care, but this is amazing. Yeah. Like I'm not eating peanut butter and jelly and chips and salsa. I'm getting for the same price this this like world class stir fry. Yeah. So you guys are rolling around in the van with like this world class barista, uh, <laughs> b- blossoming before yeah. your eyes. It's amazing. Yeah. So that's where that's where they really took over. It, uh, so like towards the end of the band, so there was this kind of natural like start of a transition in your mind, at least just from the creative side of you mm-hmm. of like as you were, I don't want to say falling out of love with music, but with the idea of like being a full-time touring musician, mm-hmm. you started falling in love with coffee as mm-hmm. like your thing. Yep. And, uh, uh, I, I, like I said, I started like learning more about it, acquiring more pieces of equipment. Um, and, uh, coming back to, like I said, the mentality of like being in the band and being like, Oh, you know, A to Z, Z is being a rock star and I'm going to be right, one one right. day. Same thing. I was like, Oh, I want to own a coffee shop, but never, never put a foot forward in doing that. Sure. Um, so I said that while working, I should say while we were touring, I was working like as a barista at other coffee shops. Yeah. And then, um, once I got to the insurance office, um, my, uh, employer was gracious enough to let me use like half the counter space in our little kitchen for coffee equipment. So they yeah. were also spoiled because yeah. they got really good pour overs all the time. Luckily you knew a guy who was good at connecting A to Z mm-hmm. with all the intermediary steps somewhere in that range, probably, like, I guess it would have been like 2013, 2014. I reached out to you, Nick, and I was just like, what do you do with your life? It was like, I, I remember it being kind of brash and like, I almost looked at it as like, man, you're talented, but I don't feel like you're doing anything, <laughs> you know? And it was me. Are you wasting your life, Nick? <laughs> it was, like it was, it was me kind of like trolling for, for maybe a marketing person to come onto my team or something like that. But I remember with you, I approached it with the idea of like the band's over, but I don't know what else you're doing. And, and at this time you were doing the marketing with, was it called burning man, burning media group, burning media. Um, and you kind of broke down like how you were, you know, doing this stuff in New York. And I was like, Oh, this is super impressive. So at, at what point in your life, while John's at home selling insurance back in Owasso and you're kind of like moonlighting, jumping back and forth between Owasso and New York, right? Or were you living in New York? I was living in Owasso. Okay. Um, Wait, working then, with this company that was based there. Yeah, our office was actually here. We had we had a, uh, 
an apartment in New York that we could use for, you know, kind of a launch pad. But, sure. you know, really we worked all over the world. Okay. Like we went to Peru. We were in, you know, California for a long time. We were in the Midwest. We were in um, Oklahoma City, like New York, just all over. So our office was here, but uh, because of his relationships with so many people in the industry, like work was anywhere because we could work right. from our laptops. Yeah, yeah. So at what point did um did the phone call or the the initial conversation happen where you where this became less of a John like someday pipe dream to like there's a realistic momentum towards opening Foster Coffee? What was the was there a moment and did it how did it how did it unfold? I just remember a phone call. John, you could probably explain the moment better than I could from well, it's funny because again, I just, I like kind of like thinking back, like, man, how funny, like my brain <laughs> works with some things and how different it is now. Sure. Like, again, I didn't know where to start. Right. Like I really didn't, but um, Nick did. So I um, was just staring at my computer screen one day and I was like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. Yeah. Um, called Nick and it was a little terrifying because I called Nick and told him, he's like, okay. Like, I don't remember <laughs> the details of the conversation, to be honest, but I just know like things started to accelerate beyond a, 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 pace that I was comfortable. And I was like, yeah. Oh, this is what realness is. Right. Right. <laughs> like you can't have this. Like, didn't it start as a cart or a, or a, or a mobile, yeah. you were setting up at like farmer's markets and stuff, right? Exactly. Which yeah. is kind of how most, I would say craft anything starts is kind of with like a pop-up of sorts, mm-hmm. whether in a place like Owasso that probably manifests itself as farmer's markets and things like that. In a place like New York or Detroit, it maybe is a street corner, a cart or something like that. Right. So that's how it started is you guys kind of started with the farmer's market type thing. And yeah, I would say the crucial, crucial spot between the initial conversation and the first farmer's market was the planning that we did. So on our logo, you'll see established 2014, even though we didn't really like serve to the public aside, aside from a couple like events, but we didn't serve to the public until 2015. Right. And that's all the planning that went into it. Uh, Big thing for me, of course, is I took the insurance job, as you, as I mentioned earlier, to yeah. make more money yeah. um, for my family. Right. So um, Nick... Which is an alarm that goes off in your head right, when there's right. a child in the world. Yep, yep. And so Nick was... Diapers are freaking expensive. <laughs> he uh, he was really helpful in like showing me and getting all the work done on the like Excel and all that stuff. Like, hey, here's an example of how we could make this sustainable and here's what we would need to do, et cetera. Again, stuff that I was didn't have any knowledge in how to do. Do you want to add any more to that? I don't know. You, I just know you like put together some pretty awesome stuff. I mean, I was still working for the marketing company and, you know, you know, obviously traveling around the world and, you know, meeting all these interesting people. And so for me, I had kind of viewed it as like, well, I want to, I want to start this company. I don't want to work in it, but I'll help John get started. That was like the initial plan. Yeah. Um, And then some things happened in, in my world where I just, I, I kind of felt my heart shifting from the marketing career path in Burning Media Group and just started saying, okay, I want to be more involved in Foster. So then it became yeah. like, I got more skin in the game. And so it was like, John was willing to put, you know, his family on the line and I was willing to put my future on the line, like quit this job yeah. and, yeah. you know, just do this a hundred percent. And so that kind of accelerated it. And, you know, for me, I just, I remember conversations around John's dining room table, you know, we'd eat dinner and, you know, just talk about, okay, here's what we need. Here's how much money we did the whole, let's go 
and apply for loans and got denied by five different banks. Right, and, right. Um, you know, just one obstacle after another. I was like, okay, let's try this. Let's try the this. Startup, let's try this. The let's try startup this. story that mm-hmm. everyone has. Yeah. yeah. And so finally I was like, okay, well, what can we do right now? Like our dream is to open a shop. Your dream is to, you know, roast coffee, but what can we do right now? Yeah. Like, well, why not the farmer's market? So we was like, well, we don't have any equipment. We don't have any money. It's like, well, we have credit cards. And, <laughs> yep. and yep. it, it wasn't one of those things. And I don't, rec- I, and I say our story, I'm like, yeah, we started Foster on our credit cards at the farmer's market, but it wasn't like one of those things where we just, oh, we'll just put on the cards and it'll sure. work itself out. Like yeah, John's yeah. kind of, you know, you know, talk about the optimism without a plan. It was like, okay, we can put it on our credit cards, but this is how many cups of coffee we need to sell to pay this off before the so interest. So you did the analytics sense. before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, we can spend this much and you can put this much on Which your cards. Which is the stuff that you were just like, uh, you were yeah. probably just waiting to swipe the yeah, card. Yeah. But like, I don't know how much, you don't have any of that ability to come up with those numbers or whatever. And like you said, now you you understand that kind of stuff. Yeah, you but, can look at the numbers, but that was how Nick was built. Yeah, and I, It was and a I little just, less than $2,000. You yeah, like you know, because I still like in our QuickBooks, it shows like what your initial yeah. equity is, and right. And I was gonna say, it just took for me, it took a lot of trust in Nick, and that was that's testimony to how much we had poured into our relationship before then. Sure, I was like, if Nick says it's gonna work out, I tr- like you said, here swipe the card. So it wasn't like blind, yeah, blind optimism. It was, yeah. Well, it it's was, proven optimism, mm-hmm. and that you know, again, you go back to comfort, you go back to building community, if you can trust those two things, if you can trust your, the people close around you, but if you can also trust like that, that aura that you've created for yourself. And that was the thing that was always impressive about it. When I saw this coming up, it was like, of course they're going to make a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Like, of course they're going to be the, the, the central perk from friends, you know, where everybody comes and hangs out, you know, like I would expect nothing less out of the two of you guys. So, um, from farmer's market to the beautiful space that you have in like literally the prime spot in downtown Owasso in that block that has Lulu's and everything else. Like what were the steps? Uh, how did it get there? How did you find that spot? You just randomly drove by and saw the sign up in the window and said, that'd be a great coffee shop or was there more to it? Well, I think for most people's startup story, you know, if you drill down there, a lot of other players, you know, the founders can get a lot of attention because they're like, we built this, but in a, in our story in Owasso, you know, we were still trying to find financing for the larger picture. Like the, the farmer's market was the temp, Yeah, but there was always the plan to open. And we engaged with a developer who owned a building and had just basically owned this property where we're at now. And he had the same sort of passion for Owasso and wanting to see the community grow and change. And so he put a lot of him and his partners put a lot of money on the line and invested in the build out of of the building to fit our dream. And really they were just like doing all of the work. We hadn't signed a lease. We hadn't signed anything. And they were already, they'd done all the build out. And our philosophy was like, well, we'll just keep going back and try to get money until we open. But at the same time they were building out the space. So it was all this kind of like, they were believing that we were going to come through and, and have the money to do it. And we were believing that we would have the money to go through sure, it. That, that the community or the banks or whatever would see the value in it. And, and kind of, yeah, I've been, I've been big on the phrase bet on yourself through my transition this year with all the different, you know, changes and going from fusion shows to audio tree and all that kind of thing. And it was like a fear of like taking that leap, you know, out of something that I built for 12 years into something new. And, and, you know, you find that when you bet on yourself, people respond to that too. So I would imagine that you guys 
trusting that it would work and moving forward probably gave the people who were investors and banks and things like that also the uh, the confidence to invest in you. Yeah. And vice versa. It, it like, once you take the step, it's kind of like being a touring band and making it. You have to go tour for an agent to want to sign you. But like, you have to have an agent to tour really hard. You know, mm-hmm. it's like that, that like window. So you have to be the one that takes the first step. Yeah. And, and it does take a community, you know, it was not only the people coming out on Saturdays to buy the product, but it was a developer. It was people who believed in the community. It was, you know, people in government that wanted to see this happen. Um, you know, it wasn't just, we wanted to do this and we were going to do whatever. Yeah. We were going to do whatever it took to make it happen. But there was a team, a, a literal community that wanted that recognized the need that this was going to fill and said, let's get behind that. And that is, you know, like even from the start, we had this idea, it does take a community. Like we are fostering community by even opening a business. Like it's not just us. We're not just selling coffee. It's this player and this baker and this developer and this person and this person. And and then of course, obviously the customers that come in and vote with their purchases every single day to make it happen. And it's, it really is an entire ecosystem. Like it's not just, we did it by ourselves. And, you know, there's a financing component to this as well, just to wrap this up is, you know, we were looking for money and went to all these banks and we had approached uh, John's brother-in-law for a loan. And he was like, I'm not interested in a loan, but you know, I'd invest in the company. And we were like, okay, yeah, we're not willing to give up our baby for you. Yeah. And then, you know, it was like, couple months later, he's like, how's the financing going? And we're like, well, (laughs) not very good. So he's like, well, he was home for family stuff. And literally in the course of like a couple of days, we talked about it. And I still, I found this contract, by the way, it was like the initial ownership of So Save Me on a piece of paper that says we all own a third for X number of dollars. And that's how we got our money to open the first one. You said so save me. You mean um, foster? Yes, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I was like, I was like wait, we did, have, yeah, we did yeah. have that document too somewhere. Everything's and one, th- one well, thing. Well, in my mind, you said so save me and three people. I'm like, which yeah. member of the band did not get an ownership <laughs> share? Like, dang, well, brutal right out of the bat. Like, to the farmer's market too, like the the volunteers every Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was crazy. So our people serving coffee were volunteering. Yeah. So like we are eternally grateful. Like yeah. it took. Well, tell me about this city. Yeah. I mean, Tyler's never been here. Okay. We, were, we were establishing on the way here. He's never been to this city. Awesome. So how do you describe Owasso to someone who's never been here? And that, I mean, that's a good start to the spirit of it. Yeah. Right? Um, man, Nick's going to be a lot more <laughs> poetic about it, but I, I, I tend to just like really boil things down to a few things. But um, I'm, I've always just been impressed, impressed with the people here. Um, it's a really cool area. Like it's not by accident, but it's also kind of funny that our next two locations are Flint and Lansing. Cause we would always describe that growing up. Oh, we're right between Flint and Lansing. Right. So, uh, I it, do the same thing with Heartland. Exactly. You know, where I live, it's yeah. like I'm between Ann Arbor and Flint, Detroit and Lansing. I'm draw a line between those and I'm at the crossroads of those. Exactly. So, and when you have to describe someplace by bringing up somewhere else, mm-hmm. you have to get creative. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, just, like you said, even like the people that are around here, you're like, man, so many people have kind of come through Owasso or I've heard about them. Yeah. I, I can't explain it. I mean, I could come up with a bunch of theories. I yeah. just know that there are really a lot of really talented, incredible people here. Like our farmer's market is one of the largest open air markets in the state. Yeah. We have a, a theater that's been around for a while that's thriving and doing well. Yeah. You can go down the list and name all these things, but it's for a small town, there's so much cool stuff and cool people. Yeah. For college me, it was, a, it was kind of a bummer. Yeah. 
for 40 year old me, there's a definite appeal to this town. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same thing with Heartland. It's a similar t- kind of vibe with Heartland and Howell and Brighton. Obviously, you're not, you know, we're not going to go down the political rabbit hole, but, you know, I, I'm not comfortable living in a community that voted 73% for the orange haired guy. Um, and I would imagine that the vote turnout is probably pretty similar up here, but you also have this like, you guys have said the word love a lot in this interview. And like, I feel that love when I come up, came up here, I walked into foster and got five hugs immediately, including one from a strange, strange old man that I had never met. And, uh, it's like, dang, you know, you guys built something here. Not only you guys built something here, but it just exists here anyway. You know what I mean? And I got to imagine going to the bowling alley on a Friday night or going into the theater, which was in disrepair when I was here. You know, I went to school here 17, 18 years ago at Baker. Um, that theater was a mess. Yeah, there was a fire. Just, yeah, there was a fire in it. There was they, were, they were like trying to to raise money and to go through that downtown now and to take Tyler through there and kind of point like, this is this thing and this is this thing and this was a mess before, but now it's cool and it's dope. It's, it's cool to come into a, a city like this and you guys are a big part of it. I want to, I want to get to Flint and Lansing foster a little bit, but while we're on the topic of Owasso, Nick, you're a uh, city council member. Is that correct for yeah. the city of Owasso? How did that all come about? And is that feel like just a natural move for you or is it something that I, I would just love to hear the story of how you got there? So two incidents stick out to me as motivators. One was with foster in downtown so Consumers Energy was updating all their gas lines as they've been doing across the state. And, you know, they had to drill underneath streets. And so there were street closures. And I remember getting a phone call on a Wednesday night from a barista that was like, hey, they're going to close the street tomorrow. And the, the next day was National Coffee Day. And I was oh, like, there's wow. no way that they're going to close our street on National Coffee Day. Like, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Sure. And I was like, we are a consumer's customer because they're freaking state-backed monopoly right. in the territory of Owasso in Shiawassee County. Yep. So I have to buy them for energy. And then secondly, they're also me as a taxpayer. They're our customer as well because they're updating their infrastructure line. So, you know, I made a bunch of calls, finally got on the line with the supervisor and they were like, okay, we won't close the street. And then I started digging deeper. Like, well, yeah. how did it get to this point? Like, why was this decision made? And there were other business owners who were like, they were drilling up concrete in the, in the, in the sidewalk, right? The only entrance into their building they were obstructing. And it's like, I get that they need to update their infrastructure. I'm glad that we're not going to blow up. Why aren't they communicating with it? Where, where was it broken? Yeah. yeah. And it was a contract. set a whole month's uh, P&L back. And I mean, for a business that maybe hangs in the, in the margin, in the tiny margins, that could, that could break a a year for three days of a sidewalk being tore up. Yep. So there was that. And then, you know, come to find out it was a contract signed earlier that year that somebody at City Hall and, you know, I've, I've spent hours and hours and hours with different people that work for consumers to yeah. figure out why this happened, right? Your, your, your whole like voice level, not, not telling <laughs> you to quiet, so, but, so but you, you just, you just moved into politics mode and I can see why this makes sense now. You're it, like passionate about this. This is something that you, that you care about very deeply. So, and it's true because it's like a decision was made, but no one passed along that information to the other players who are the stakeholders. And that's the big thing is it's the business owners, it's the customers, it's the taxpayers, it's the people. So that was scenario one. Scenario two is a street um, that runs along here was repaved. And 
how that was executed, again, same thing. A contract was signed to repave it. Sure. You know, we're on the hook to pay for it as, you know, taxpayers that live on the street. But the contractors would pour the, the sidewalk or pour the, the entrance ramp into our driveway and not communicate with any of the homeowners that they were doing it that day. Yeah. And my neighbor across the street couldn't get his car out of his driveway because they poured it and he couldn't leave for work the next day. Jeez. So it's like the idiocy yeah. of the execution and the lack of communication right. was like totally broken. So I said, this sucks. How do we fix this? Yeah. So- I just started doing some more digging and found out, okay, these are decisions that are being made. And I went to city hall and like said my piece. I was like, I think this is stupid the way that you've done this. You guys signed a contract, blah, blah, blah. I'm paying for this in two ways. I'm paying consumers and I'm paying you as a taxpayer and you're mismanaging my money and you're mismanaging my community. I'm trying to like, John and I are putting a lot on the line to invest a business here. And you are literally shooting your own people like in the foot because you're debilitating their their ability to succeed. Right. Based off of your ignorance or like knowingly making dumb decisions. Sure. So I and all of that, it's like I'm a big proponent of like if you see a problem and you like want to talk about it, like also do something about it. Did someone anyone in your life say like you should run for city council or was that your own idea? Because I feel like if you gave me that impassioned reply, I would respond probably snarkily in some fashion like, well, why don't you just run for office then? Yeah, there were there were people. Actually, the person I bought this house from was a city council member. And, yeah. you know, I confided in him that I was thinking about it. And he, you know, let me know the pros and the cons. And sure. um, there were other people in the community that were like, hey, you should do this. Because I started showing up to these meetings right. to complain. And they're yeah. like, wow, you see, you're asking questions that these people don't have answers for. So why don't you answer, ask those questions in a, as, a in council a, as a council member? Yeah. So in a place where you can exact those changes if you need to. And that's my thing too, you know, is we need people to ask questions. Like that government only works when people show up. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you made this comment, like you don't feel comfortable living in a community where a certain percentage of people voted for somebody. Sure. But it's like, if you leave and everybody else leaves, then there's no conversation right. about these yeah, issues. Yeah. And yeah. so it's like, if I don't show up and complain about the way that the consumer's contract was executed, then that stuff just continues to happen. Yep. Like we need people to have these conversations in the open. And so whether you're doing it at city hall or you're doing it at a coffee shop and just wrestling with these these issues that are inherent to human nature yeah and inherent to different people with different backgrounds and perspectives and ideas it's like we have to wrestle with those things together otherwise we just find our own pockets and we become i'm sure you've heard this term echo chambers of the same yeah. ideas yeah, yeah. Like we need each other to bounce ideas off of. Like I think Foster is only successful and I thought So Save Me was only successful in its longevity because we were we brought so many elements together that that balanced it out. Like Foster would not work well if it was just me, because I'd be like deliverables, goals and like milestones and and people would be like, I don't want to work for you because you're an a-hole. So Things you can write on a whiteboard. Yeah. <laughs> so John's the balance to that. And I think that's the success of communities is learning how to figure that out, Nate, is learning how to have those conversations and just having people show up. Like if you want to complain about society, then then do something about it. And the yeah. beauty of our governmental system is that local government, local election is the best and most practical place to do it because it's mostly filled with people who are old or to have nothing better to do or, and I'm not saying that is even Owasso or every case, but most of the time people gravitate to those for a, a, 
a reason they want power or they are they just or wanting or something stay involved to do. in the you know retirement phase of their career and things like that and it, it yeah it absolutely there's i don't want to say there's a prestige to it but there's a there's a certain level of uh importance that you know you get assigned to you when you're in those positions and I know you, you're not doing it for those things. You know, I know that you like to be in front, uh, be the front man of a band, but you've let that part of it go. But I think, um, you always use that band and I've, you've used the coffee shop as a platform to have those conversations. And that has always been something that's been very, very impressive. So when I saw this, I was like, okay, this is the natural transition of Nick, the adult from Nick, the, uh, uh, the, the guy that I didn't know ran around in long johns waving a flag around says <laughs> go sports or whatever. So uh, we're going to wrap it up pretty quick here, but I, I want to ask one more kind of longer winded question. And then we're going to do a little rapid fire round to wrap it up. Um, just talking about Flint and, and now East Lansing for foster. Um, I've asked you on multiple occasions, like what's the grand plan for foster. And we were talking before we, uh, clicked record about my grand plans and like audio tree and how the strategy of the audio tree company is just to do things that make sense. You know, that's our strategy. If that makes sense to be involved in a certain venue or whatever, it's, we're going to take each thing, one thing at a time. So, um, I've asked you in the more like, uh, the less thoughtful way, like, is your plan to have 20 foster coffees everywhere and compete, you know, what is the what is the plan? What what led you to go to Flint? What led you to go to East Lansing? And what is going to lead you to do whatever's next? <laughs> I don't know. Rock, I was, like, yeah. no, was, was going to say go I, ahead, we could man. we could uh, probably give like different perspective on the answers, but something sure. that we've both agreed on is kind of a similar thing. Like I don't I don't think we've like coined a phrase like do what makes sense, but that's kind of where we're at. You know, we've we've been open to the idea from the beginning and. We've mentioned having 25 coffee shops. We've mentioned having three. We've mentioned having five. So like for us. And then there's the idea of like retail and warehousing and and like that kind of thing too, which is a totally different pocket of coffee culture. Exactly. So So you're going to do the things that make sense. Pretty much. And what's what's healthy for the company, what's healthy for us. Um, Right now we're in a really exciting phase, which I'm personally excited about, which is um, looking at like what we've already done and yeah. kind of looking back and being like, okay, cool. Like we've built this really great thing so far. Not that we're done with it, obviously. Right. What, what can we improve on? How can we um, hone in on some things that we do really well? How can we adjust, fix and improve the things that we're not yeah. great at? To so, have a couple years of books to look at is such a magical yeah. thing where it's just like, I know that this was done uh, in under fire as we built out our dream, but now that you've settled in, and you can look at the Owasa store for now. How many years? Five, four years? It'll be uh, four years yeah. this, this December. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you can now look at like, okay, at least two of those were like just where you were settled into the groove. Mm-hmm. So you can like look at the trends and everything and, and make decisions on the future and on other locations based on like what it looks like to have a company, a, a, a shop that you know is just operating well. Mm-hmm. I think the big thing to add to that too is this is coming back to a previous conversation we were having today is, you know, when you're assessing things with your, you know, your partner, your, 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 you know, your spouse partner or, you know, your business partner or just in life, I think it's important to take time as a healthy human being is just to do a pulse check. Like, where am I at now? Like 
the thing for me that I do, I, 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 I try to do on a consistent basis. Like my wife and I will literally take New Year's Day and we'll just talk through like, what was our calendar like? What, what has our marriage been like? What sure. is our finances like? Where do we want to go? Like my wife and I just did that after, you know, we opened East Lansing and it was a tough time. I think for my family, I know from things that John shared, just, it was so involved for us. My wife and I just like got away and went to Detroit for a weekend. And we just, I said, no phones. Like, we're just going to talk. Like, where are we at? What do you want to see? What do you, and it's so important, I think, for the health of a person to just figure out where you're at and to make sure that the things that you're doing are not just a product of like the next step or the agenda. Like my calendar is filled out, but your calendar can become your steering wheel rather than you steering your calendar. And I think it's right, important right, for you right. to just say, I want to be here. And where we're at now is different than where we were four years ago as yeah, a company. Yeah. So the things we valued then, while the core of them are staying the same, like I, I'm a believer is like, if we're not fostering community through coffee, then we're not foster anymore. Then we're just fill in the blank. We're another yeah. shop. So that doesn't necessarily change, but the mission of how we go about that can change and it should change because we have 32 employees now with three locations. Yeah. Like the challenges that we face now are different than the challenges we faced at the beginning. And People the person- depend on you for their livelihoods now and, too. And even beyond yeah. that, me as a person is, yeah. I'm different today than I was last week. And it's okay. I think we need sure. to give ourselves the freedom to say, the decisions I'm going to make today are different than I would have made as a high school person thinking yeah. that running around the track in my long johns was a great idea. Sure. Like, you know, we need to give each other a lot of grace and understanding like yeah. our brains change, our philosophies change, our views change. And to reassess, I think that's really important to have that pulse. So it this is a time for us, even tomorrow, we have a big uh, strategy meeting where John and I are just doing that together. Like yeah. this has already been on the books to just say, okay, now what? Now we can breathe. You're in a Where room together all the time, but to have a, a specific point of a, of a gathering where you focus on it, it, it's super important. And that's, you know, Tyler and I talked about that on the way up a little bit about how people's decision-making processes are different year to year, week to week, month to month. And, you know, I kind of mentioned what I said with my wife, like we were both carrying this like financial burden separately and we didn't even think about like, we should tie each other into this, you know, taking that time. Uh, sometimes it, it's, sometimes it, it's in the moment you have to have uh, like, uh, okay, it's nine o'clock, the kid's in bed. I'm going to go ahead and open this can of worms, knowing that this could go till two o'clock in the morning. And sometimes it's that, but sometimes it's literally like putting out in the calendar. Teresa and I are going to sit down and talk about finances at this time on this day. We're going to get a babysitter as exciting as, as it is to burn a babysitting appointment on, you know, or a babysitter on, on like a financial conversation as opposed to a nice night out. It's super important to be uh, purposeful about your time in that manner so that you can also prepare like the emotion that can go into something like that, yeah. you know, so you can be like, all right, I'm ready to like get this out in a way that's constructive and, and, checks all the boxes. Yep. This is awesome. All right. We're going to end this on a speed round. I'm just going to, I'm going to ask you a few questions. I just want the first thing that comes to both of your mind. Um, no wrong or right answers. And then we'll give you guys a chance to shout out, uh, how we find out more about you guys at, at the end. So first question, one musical artist, and it can be local or national, whoever that you really believe in right now. This is your chance to give somebody a shout out. Donning. Michigander. Okay. <laughs> Which is funny because Aaron from Donning plays in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, 
Okay. He's also my brother-in-law. <laughs> Aaron. Oh, yeah. Mandy. Okay. Yep. All right. There you go. He lived here in this house for two years. Great dude. Yeah. Fantastic dude. And he's a, super talented. Yeah. And not just because he's my brother-in-law, but he is a great The new track writer. he just rolled out oh, is so I good. told him it's the best thing he's done yet. And Jason's just out there destroying. Yep. He's out on the West Coast right now yep. playing solo with uh, Last Dinosaurs in like sold out theaters and just crushing. I text with him pretty much daily and so stoked for him. Cool. Best album of all time. It's <laughs> not fair. Oh, it's totally fair. <laughs> that is fair. not fair. Again. Can I pick one knowing that it's like in my top 10? <laughs> I mean, what's. What am I going to say? No. Can we say it at the same time yeah. to see if it's the same one? It's probably not. Oh, okay, never mind. I bet you it's not. Go ahead, Nick. John's going to drop a hardcore record on us. Uh, Devil and God, brand new. Oh, it's a really good album. Which is such a shame because they are canceled forever now. Yeah. But it's really, that's really hard. That's really hard. Greatest album. Give me one. What's the one that's sticking at the, t- uh, the tip of your tongue right now? Oh, God. The album I can't get enough of right now. I can't call it the greatest album of all the time. I can't do that. That's okay. Okay. Um, for me, brother, sister, by me without you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's. I, I, I did guess you I, know? Did you see their thing? They're, yeah. they're going to do a tour. Yeah. Yeah. Wink, wink. I'm, I'm winking at you right now because that's going to happen soon. Uh, favorite concert experience of all time that you've been to? What, what's your favorite show? And you guys were on stage, so you can talk uh, about. I'll say mine. Yeah. John Mark McMillan. Okay. He um he is a faith-based artist, but at the same time I was kind of going into that concert expecting that in a way. Sure. And he blew me away by his performance. Like not that not anything to do with the other side, but like sure. his like musicianship, yeah. the quality musicians, the show. I was yeah, that's that one like has stuck with me really hard. It was okay. incredible. Yeah. Mikey just came through and two of the guys that play in Mikey's band right yes. now are in his band and it was the best Mikey show I've ever seen. Yeah. And I've seen Mikey 35 times. Did you see the drum set that, that Dom yeah, was playing? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, sold it yeah. to him. Nice. <laughs> the old So Save Me drum set. Yeah. I think oh, it yeah. still says So Save Me on it. This one doesn't. No. Okay. I don't think right. so, no. All right. Oh, man. Almost just because I can't think of another one that comes to mind, it would be that same show. John we, and I were we out together. together. That's yeah. your birthday present. Oh, yeah. you guys yeah. are so cute. I swear. Brand new is a, that, the one that you booked at uh, uh, what festival? Common Ground. Common Ground. That was, that was a really close second. That was so... You know, I I put an asterisk on everything that has to do with that band, obviously, because of what went down afterwards. But that was the answer. I've done a couple of these, and people have said, like, if money was no issue, what show would you book? Mm -hmm. Uh, What bands would you book? And that night was like the Hold Steady, Circus Survive, Kevin Devine, the Front Bottom, Say Anything. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just like the whole, all three stages was just like kind of my dream booking. And now it kind of like lingers in this like, gray space now of like it was great at the time but well i, I know this is supposed to be a speed round i'm so sorry no but you're fine cheery farewell show at the pyramid scheme oh that was yes i like didn't think i was gonna be crying after hardcore show. yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> i was really Dude, close that band was amazing <laughs> uh if you watch a lot of tv mm-hmm. what's the one thing you're binge watching right now or most recently the office all the time okay better call Saul is probably my favorite okay uh, right now, my wife and I are watching Agents of Shield. We're Dude. making our way through that, but it's super like emotionally draining. So then we have to balance it some nights when we don't want to sure. go to bed depressed. Yeah, uh, with The Office. This is the first time through you're watching it. Yeah. Oh, see, I've been watching it as the season, like on TV, as the seasons go along. We're in season six, I think, or five right now. Yeah, it's got some. It's cool. 
It's it, it's funny because I really want to love the Daredevils and the stuff like that that's on Netflix, but they're all just so dark. And you're like, you go, yeah, you go to bed and, and like Shield is like the the PG rated version. You watch like a Daredevil or Luke Cage or one of those, and you're just like shaken. You know, I'm not a horror movie guy. I'm not any of those kind of things, and I wouldn't call those anywhere near that. But like, they're the R rated versions of like what you're talking about. And Shield can yeah kick your ass. I like that one a lot. Uh, the last best one, uh, best musical performer that ever lived. Ooh, gosh. <laughs> For me, it's between Michael Jackson and, uh, Freddie Mercury. That's a very common yeah. answer. Nick is just, Nick is like, got his, he's holding his this head up. This is the with thing about me and music is like, I know this is going to sound terrible, but like, I, I don't care as much anymore. So like, I don't have any like musical idols or like sure. people that like have rocked my world. It's just kind of like been, I've been exposed to it and around it. Yeah. So like, is it kind of more of an analytical ex- approach? So are you looking at it like who's the most, I feel like the things that impress me the most are like my emotional engagement with where I was at the time. Like that's why I can say brand new is because during that period of time when I was in So Save Me, like yeah. it just had such a dramatic, it like I de- identified so hardcore yeah. with oh, yeah. it. Yeah. But I don't look back and go, well, the Beatles because of this and this and the, you know, their, sure. prolific, their yeah. you know, prolific writing and blah, blah, blah. Like, so I don't even know how to answer that. Like I would just view it as like which artist has had like the biggest impact on our culture. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't, my answer is, I don't know. That's fair. I could give you that. Hey, I like it. El- albums or singles? Ooh, albums. Albums. I hate okay. just listening to one song. Good. I, I, that's like such a trend right now. Yeah. I mean, I know it's probably a lot of stuff behind it that I don't know, but. Yeah, I'm an album guy too. Yeah. Well, it's like when you go to Spotify and you search the artist and you're like, oh, a new album. Oh, it's just one, one song. song. Yeah. And you're like, I want to listen to you as an artist and yeah. I don't want to find yeah, someone's yeah, yeah. like curated playlist of yeah. you. I just want to listen to what you have put together and assembled as a musical experience. Which well, the garden, the album. garden, I think is the album, you know, I don't, I can't speak back to, to, uh, the ghost at sea record, but, um, the garden was a, was a, a unified thought to me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Beginning to end. It had flow to it. It started where it was supposed to start and ended where it was supposed to end. So that answer came through. <laughs> I already knew that you were both going to say albums. Uh, festivals, yay or nay? Playing nay. <laughs> Are you asking 33-year-old John? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. It's like three bands and you're done, mm-hmm. right? Give me three bands. Yeah, or yeah. even just like an opener and the I'm, main I'm act. I'm right there yeah. with you. That's... And, you know, I produce festivals over yeah. the years, but yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. The one thing I do like about festivals, like uh, that Common Ground one, you were absolutely right. The... I've never felt so torn. Like, oh crap, I got to watch these guys or these guys. Yeah, Common Ground was cool though because it, I mean, doors opened at six and it was done by 11. So it wasn't like, yeah, it was, even though there was three stages of music and still is like, it's not an all day like marathon thing. I went to Riot Fest in 2013 and I was like, oh, there's 25 bands I want to see. But I had to stand outside in the elements for 12 hours a day to accomplish that. And it was like, no, just I'd rather never do this again. And I haven't since. If I don't have a backstage pass or like a golf cart, I'm not doing festivals <laughs> anymore. I had all access to Lala the, a couple of years ago just to hang out with Flynn Eastwood. And I saw her at 1230 
And then I was back in the Airbnb by three o'clock and I never went back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, done. I'm just like, nope, I'm good. I'm going to go watch Netflix. Uh, give me a controversial opinion that you have. Controversial opinion. Besides brand new or Michael Jackson in 2019. <laughs> uh, here's mine. I think that if you are going to complain about something, you also have a moral responsibility to do something about it. And especially when it comes to online, like so many people talk yeah. about what they're going to do or like, I don't like this. Yeah. I don't like this person. And to me, I view it as like, while it's helpful to have discussions and I think people should talk about things that they don't necessarily have the con the ability to change or control, but there's something that you can do. Yeah. And so online can give people such a, a voice and a platform to speak. But then I want to come back to like, well, what are you doing to change yeah. your surroundings? It's walking like, the talk. You can't change yeah. the president, but what are you doing to change your community or your sure. neighborhood? Like, do you know your neighbors? Yeah. Because it's kind of like, if you want to change the world, like what are you doing to change your house? What are you doing to change your block? Yeah. What are you doing to change your community where you're at right now that you yeah. absolutely have the power to change? It's when, weird that this would be even considered a controversial opinion, but it absolutely is one. A thousand like, percent. Uh -huh. I love it. Thanks, dude. That rules. John? Um, I can think of a bunch of controversial opinions. Uh, for me, I guess, sticking with the political theme, mine would be that there are really good people that are Democrats and really good people that are Republicans. That's it. There are a-holes on both sides, too. Yeah. Well, what's your guilty pleasure? Musically or just in just, general? I don't know. Doesn't say. Uh, guilty pleasure. For music, it's Mariah Carey. Okay. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -mm. Nick, do you have one in your... I think maybe binge watching Netflix is probably my guilty pleasure. Like just being able to check out of the complexities of life. Sure. Um, that's the one that my wife and I have been having conversations about. Like, do we watch too much Netflix? Do you, oh, so, so it's more of like an, a life efficiency thing. Like I'm, I've kind of, I could have been doing something better with my time, but yeah, I also like, like, you can watch like three episodes of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and that like we didn't finish laundry and other like household chores that need to get done. It's like, sure. are we balancing this correctly? And then you can justify it by like, well, we work really hard. Yeah. And it's like, well, the other stuff still needs to get done, even if you work really yeah. hard. So, okay. I feel that one. Is there anything else you guys want to share? Anything that we missed in the life? There were, there were a couple of things that I was hoping we'd get to. Yeah. One is that. I've been saying this a lot lately and having you sit in front of me is really good uh, spice to say this, but I often wonder how many bands have come through like the local scene that have never gotten to that next level Yeah, that are really, really good. And how many of those that we don't even know about, right? So, so like, which next level are you talking about? Like, are you saying, so Save Me didn't reach the next level that you're talking about? Or are you saying- Right, I would say, I would yeah. say that we, we didn't reach the next level or we were like flirting with that On edge. the cusp, mm -hmm. yeah. And- um, uh, for me, a children's crusade has oh been that band that God, I listen that to that record. album and I like, I'm saying this, this literally still is yeah. better than half the stuff I listen to. One of the things that I, that I get into with artists, um, when I'm trying to like, I do a lot of these, like sit down, have lunch with a band to try to 
reach the next level kind of things. And sometimes it's at the point where it's like, we're going to break up next month if this doesn't happen or whatever. Music is timeless. Mm-hmm. And like when I talked about seeing your songs pop up in this rotation with like thrice and Jimmy world songs on my Spotify, like someone could discover you t- tomorrow and just be like, dude, this shit hits me so hard. And a children's crusade wolves and machines, those couple of records, your best friend. There are way too many. There mm-hmm. are way too many artists that are like, we are just talking on the way here about Jeff Pianchi mm-hmm. from where Tyler and I are from. Um, like Island view drive silence, the wake and like, all of them had success though. Yeah. You guys got to see the world. Or maybe not see the world, see the country um, driving around in a van doing what you did. Yeah. But you never, I wouldn't describe you as like having made it. You Correct. know, I talked to Leo from rival summers all the time about like, he's at that point where he's been doing this for 12 years. And fortunately Leo is rival summers. So there is no band to break up. Mm-hmm. So there's no fear of like him breaking up with himself. But like, he's at that point where he's 26, 27, 28 years old, you know, starting a family, got married, moved to Nashville. And like, it's probably not going to be a, a, it's not going to meet that goal. Mike Maines, you know, another Mm -hmm. one who's had a ton of success, sold a ton of records, played in front of a bajillion people. Um, but like never, you know, haven't, hasn't met the goal yet of being the biggest band in the world, which is what he would always tell me, Yeah, you know, what's your, what's your goal? We want to be the biggest band in the world. Yeah. We want to be bigger than the killers. And I said, well, first of all, the killers aren't the biggest band in the world. So if you're bigger than the killers, you still haven't met your goal. (laughs) Secondly, um, you know, it's, it's, it's that idea of like, did you accomplish something? Did you make something great? And it's still great today. Yes. Somebody listens to that children's crusade record for the first time. I'm going to play it for Tyler on the way home. If you haven't heard it, it's amazing and it can still be amazing for someone, but it's not going to help them reach any of their band goals at this point. You know, right. It may, if we, if it popped up and became semi-viral, like bear versus shark was a band that like toured independently forever and kind of had this like core fan base, but it never added up. But then they did these reunion shows a couple years ago and they went off and they sold out in LA and New York and Chicago and two nights in Detroit. And it was like, people were like, this band was never big. Mm-hmm. or refused mm-hmm. the biggest they've ever been when they came back, mm-hmm. you know? So like the importance of albums and music doesn't change, uh, or it can change over time, I guess it's, it doesn't lessen. If anything, it could become more important as yeah. music is circular and everybody's tastes grow and change as you get older and whatever, you might find something to be like, dude, but unfortunately all that's going to add up to is probably a couple of pennies on Spotify for most people. So, uh, what else did I, what I, you said a couple of topics. So what else did we not get to? Uh, like, it'd be fun to know, like what's like, even Tyler, are you, what is everyone listening to? Like right now a lot. What are you digging on? I was, I had Gregory Allen Isakoff's uh, uh, Weatherman record out on the way up here and that one's pretty obsessive right now and then you brought up brother sister me without you has been huge the last year for me that new record which is a year old now but um i can't stop like it's so deep and i can't like i'll listen to brother sister one day and it's all crazy the next you know it's it that band is just so awesome mm-hmm. what's tyler listening to these days i can relay um oh, i started listening to jack m Semph. 
because we just did a session together. Yeah. He's so good. Up in Traverse City, a local artist, or well, local to Traverse City now, but yeah. Jack, what was it? M. M. Senf. M. Senf. Like M is the initial, and then Senf, N E S E N F F. Okay. He played Bloodfest last year, nice. right? Oh, you didn't even know. <laughs> you know, I, I booked him back when he was. <laughs> <laughs> what are you listening to, Nick? Um, yeah. I've really been into Need to Breathe's live albums. Yeah. I don't really care for their um, studio, albums. studio albums, but their live ones. I just like how they, I like seeing their, and hearing, hearing their performance, yeah. like how they structure yeah. things um, and how they talk through. Um, I've also been, again, going back and revisiting the Beatles yeah. and like listening through their songwriting history. I watched a documentary about their touring years that was on Hulu and I was just like, I need to re- revisit this because they have a weird thing where like they toured and they got so popular that they stopped touring <laughs> because the fans were more about them than they were about the music. Right. And I just, I respected right. that decision so much because um, they cared about their their craft. The ethic, right. Yeah. I've been into wage war right now um, from a totally different perspective. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been spinning Norma Jean's new album. So all over the map, genre-wise. Noctiluce's album. Yeah? Yeah, different shade. Or uh, what is it, a different shade of blue? Anyways, Noctiluce, yeah. have you listened to that yeah, album? Yeah, oh yeah, we, we've done a couple shows with them. It's ridiculous. But that album, I... I find myself coming back to like on a like I don't, weekly basis. I don't like hardcore, but I appreciate okay. what that band is doing. When I say I don't like, it's just not yeah. for me. You know, it just grew up on Alice in Chains and chunky guitar riffs, you know? Yeah. But like, so most hardcore things kind of like are a little too abrasive for my taste, mm-hmm. but they're incredibly wild live and just, you can tell they're important right now. Yeah. They're just a really important band at the moment. So yeah. what else? That was it. That's it. I was like, man, I wanted to talk. You just, wanted, little, yeah. you, just, you just wanted to flip, talk some shop. So uh, give me uh, the rundown on how we can find out more about uh, what you're doing. Like we said, So Save Me is on Spotify. Mm-hmm. You can check out The Garden and everything else. It's So Save Me, all one word. Yes. And, and you can also, if you buy anything from Foster online and you ask for a So Save Me physical album, we will put it in your package for you. <laughs> there we you have go. some there. We just had recently we just had someone, a request, yeah. Can I get a So Save Me album? I was like, yes, <laughs> yeah. I got a box. Yeah. I'll give you a box, Nate. No, 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 I'm good. I'm good. You can start handing <laughs> it's, them out. Uh, it's 2019. I listen to all my music there on my go. phone. I know. <laughs> that's why we still have <laughs> right, boxes right. of them. Um, where can we find out more about Foster Coffee? Go to fostercoffee.co. Um you can find us on any basically social media platforms. Just search Foster Coffee, or if you're in Flint, Owasso, or Lansing, you can go see a physical shop. Yeah, and you guys sell bag coffee too, Correct. so you can yep. order some online. of that online as yep. well. Cool. I won't order it because I don't listen. Uh, I don't listen to CDs anymore, and I don't drink coffee. But I'll come in and just smile at, at the community <laughs> that's happening <laughs> in our spaces. This was awesome. I knew it would be awesome, but now it feels good now that it's done to know that it was awesome. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate you. Thanks, Nate. Love you both. Proud of you. Thank you. Thanks. There couldn't be two nicer guys on the planet than Nicholas Pydeck and John Moore. Special thanks to Nick for welcoming us into his home and uh, letting us spend some time. And thanks to John for coming, uh, coming and hanging out with us as well. Thanks to Tyler Floyd, our wonderful producer. Appreciate you, my friend. Appreciate you, too. Our email address is herefornowpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on social media at herefornowpod. 
And uh, go to our website, herefornowpodcast.com. You can subscribe to our podcast anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Our next episode, uh, we went to Chicago, sat down with uh, Monique Doran, who is a graphic designer for Riot Fest and runs a really cool organization called Support Your Fellow Rockers, which is an industry uh, resource website for folks in DIY and uh, really excited to roll that out to you. So thanks for your time. Appreciate you all. Have a wonderful day. Don't forget, lift up your friends. Take care.